Attention FM DJs in the greater Portland area. Your daily show prep begins now. Did you ever watch the Twilight Zone? Oh, God. Remember the Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith? Remember, he, he, he loved to read, and there was a nuclear war, and he had no friends anyway, and he was oh, down in the basement of the library. Yes, he was the last man he broke his glasses. Yeah. This thing freaked me out. When I was seven years old, I bought another pair of glasses just in case that would happen. Oh, those shows, they, they were so good. They were yeah. so scary. Yeah. Oh, great. they were great. Remember the one where the guy had the stopwatch? And somebody in a bar gave him a stopwatch, and he was this real obnoxious guy, and he took the stopwatch, and he hit it, and everybody else in time froze but him. That's an outer limits. No, that was his own. That's an outer limits. That was his own. Oh, they have one about the mannequins that got two weeks off and turned into humans, and they were allowed to go out and shop for two weeks on their own, and then this one came back, and it was over two weeks, and the other mannequins went, come over here for a minute, and turned her into plastic. Boy, they were, they were scary. They were great. I loved it. Hey, you, you want to see something really scary? You bet. Really? Yeah. Okay, this is this is really, really scary now. I trust you. Okay, pull the car over. Pull the car over? Ooh. You want to see it? Well, show me while I'm driving. No, I can't. I can't tell you about it. So only take a couple of seconds. All right, two seconds, okay? Okay. What is it? Just pull it over. Okay. I'll show you. All right. Scare me. Are you ready? Okay, go ahead. What are you doing? of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Fifteen seconds after the hour of eleven, and this the month of October in the year of our Lord two thousand and eight. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM nine seventy. The talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It is Halloween week, and thank you for joining us. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. You want to join us today? Five zero three seven three three two. 970. 503-733-2970. If you want to get on board with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, ruminations, kvetches, two cents, ponderings, musings, ends, or odds, uh, whatever you might have today. 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol is standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along the observations about the interesting, the tedious, the groundbreaking, the mundane, the absurd. Uh, whatever it is that's rolling around inside your brain on this Monday. Uh, we are here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for drawing near, my friends, that ye might be amused. 
Uh, it is 503-733-2970. You can email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. All right, here's what's coming up today. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins uh, will join us today as we draw ever nearer to election 08, which is eight days away? Yes. Week from tomorrow. All right. Uh, so next Tuesday, November 4th, 7 p.m., the Rick Emerson Show's political party happening at Grand Central Bowl on 8th and Morrison in beautiful southeast Portland. So don't forget to be there. That is next Tuesday, Tuesday, November 4th, election night, 7 p.m., in conjunction with the Willamette Week and the Oregon Bus Project. Brought to you by our fine sponsors, Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing, Taboo Adult Video. That is next Tuesday, the 4th, 7 p.m., our political party happening next Tuesday. All right. Uh, so Lisa will be with us to talk about election 08. Steve Kastenbaum will join us from New York City. And, of course, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop from uh, Los Angeles. Uh, it is Halloween week, so really, what kind of Halloween show do we be able to have without this? A clown watch coming up today. Clown watch. Uh, let's see. Penis watch. Snuff watch coming up today. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else have we on the horizon? Uh, we'll try to get to a uh, top five. Richie told apparently there's some terrible new Dr. Elmo song, and I haven't heard it. But you know, Doctor, the grandma got I rid of the a strict no Dr. Elmo policy. See, I thought so too because because he wrote that horribly racist Christmas song. Grandma, grandma got, got, got killed in a drive-by or whatever that song yeah. was. Because Dr. Elmo, who did Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, that song has kind of gone through every shade of the pop music spectrum by now. Because first it was obscure, then it was known, then it was a hit, then it was disliked, then it was loathed. But then last Christmas, I think it was last Christmas, Christmas 2007, we actually had and Dr. Elmo. And a little bit. Well, because we felt that, he had, that that song had become so despised that it sort of become part of the pop culture pantheon in that sense. That we owed it to him to talk about it. It just as a cultural artifact, a song that everybody knows, that everybody plays, and yet no one likes. And so then they sent us some updated versions of Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, and one of them was something about Grandma being gunned down in Oakland or something. Um, anyway, so uh, so after that interview, we did institute this no Elmo policy, which is not unlike our no Monster Mash policy on Halloween. But Richie told me that apparently Dr. Elmo's put out some Halloween uh, joint. So it, we may or may not play that later on. Anywho, uh, so that's what's coming up today. Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum, James Roop, Clown Watch, Snuff Watch, Penis Watch. We'll talk about Mad Men last night, which was exemplary. And don't forget, one random on-air caller today will win a uh, copy of The Incredible Hulk on DVD. Featuring an all-star cast, including Academy Award nominees Edward Norton and Tim Roth, uh, as well as Academy Award winner William Hurt. Filled with unstoppable action, visual effects, and non-stop thrills, uh, the Hulk, unleashed on DVD October 21st, uh, going to one random on-air caller today. And finally, before we do one other thing, uh, Richie, you and I can get uh, get together during the break and talk about this. This uh, was just sort of handed to us. Today only, this is today, 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 today only, uh, we are going to be giving away many, many, many tickets to see a special screening, one night only, tonight, of the original Friday the 13th. The original Friday the 13th screening tonight, part of Horror Fest, Mondays at Broadway Regal Cinemas, uh, I think throughout the next two months. I think they'll be doing like one classic horror film every uh, every Monday. Uh, tonight, 7.30 p.m., the original Friday the 13th. We have tickets to that. So, All right. It's all very exciting. Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification on this Monday. Izzy's will close down five restaurants. 
Now, the only one we know for sure so far is the one in Salem. Uh, slashing ruins an afternoon of skateboarding for kids at Gabriel Park. Sarah Palin introduces her new friend, Tito the Builder. Carl Rove admits John McCain has a steep hill to climb. Alaska's largest newspaper endorses Obama. A man is shot in round of his final paycheck on the day he's laid off. It's going to be in the 70s today. And the fall foliage came out overnight. Sunday, I should say Saturday night, Sunday morning, in the mm. suburbs. Right. And that looks like New England in nice places that have trees. Looks like you're in that Far From Heaven movie. With yeah, Rock it does. Outdoor. Yeah, exactly. And it happened overnight. It's amazing. Last night's season finale of Bad Man was television at its finest. There you go. Um, and so, by the way, if you go to RileyLive.com today, which is Tim Riley's uh, weblog, you go to Riley Live, there's the greatest photo of anybody that's ever been taken anywhere at any time. See, why do you keep showing that to me? Just to remind me that I can't ever be that cool. Uh, a suit would fix you right up. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'd pull off the suit thing very well. I might now that I have... Get rid of the glasses. And, uh, well, never. And get a new face? Just say it. No, no, Have no, somebody no. else pretend to be me? That's really the only thing that's going to make me that presentable, is just have someone come in as a Rick Emerson stunt double. Maybe that's what we should do from now on, except for you, Tim, like because you're one of the pretty parties. people. It's a, totally. We should just get people to come in and pretend to be us. Tim, you can be played by a six-foot-tall black man. I'd like uh, that. Sarah? Yes? I don't know who would pretend <laughs> to be you. And then I would get somebody, I would get some sort of retro Don Draper kind of guy to come in and pretend to be me. I like stripper. Yes. Yeah, yes, I mean, you can, okay. Sarah. Um... So if you go to RileyLive.com, there's a fantastic picture of John Hamm, who, of course, plays Don Draper on Mad Men. And it's a photo of him stretched out on a couch, gray Enjoying suit. Enjoying smoke. Yeah, with like what, what I'm assuming to be the Manhattan City skyline behind mm-hmm. him. Ugh, damn, man. I mean, look, I, I try to sort of look presentable. And unlike a lot of people, I think there's certain people that have kind of some, some sort of fashion sense or sense of aesthetics in place in high school. But then as they get older, you just become... You know, you just become a fat suburbanite in a Tweety shirt or whatever. And I think for me, it's not like I really know how to put myself together. I'm no, uh, I'm no Mr. Blackwell. All it takes is a suit. I'm just, well, see, but I, that's the thing is I think for me it's actually kind of going in reverse. You look at me when I was in high school or up until, you know, my, my early, basically until I met Sarah. I was just a wreck, just a disaster. And it's not like I dress all that better now. But it's like the bar was set so no, low. Rick, you, no, I don't think you remember what you looked like. But you see what I'm saying? Like the bar was set so low for improvement. You know what I mean? Like I looked so bad that any kind of improvement was great. It, but just, it, it sounds like we're, I'm making it up when I talk about what you used to wear. No, I was terrible. No, it's just no it's, good. It's, no good There are no words. There are no words. Like yeah. tapered, faded, black jeans and purple. I know. And, and now it doesn't matter. You're married and you're all set. No, I no longer need to be a presentable or desirable at all. That's correct. You've already been chosen. I got me a woman. All right. Well, in any event. Um, but if you go to RileyLive.com, you'll see this photograph of John Hamm as Don Draper, which is just just one of the best things I've ever seen. And you know what? I, Don, can I just say this? Every single person in the world has a crush on John Hamm. Absolutely. Man, woman, straight, gay, doesn't you matter. You know what? That crosses all boundaries, Sarah. I was listening to a couple podcasts with him on it. Uh, this weekend, and he, uh, like, all the hosts of the shows yeah. are like, I am gay for you. Oh, and yeah. He was on SNL over the weekend. I didn't see Was that, he actually. It, it was funny. He was giving tips on how to pick up on women. Really? If our streaming is up to par, we might play it later, although I can't. And he's also in this uh, magazine I have called uh, Best Life, What Matters to Men. 
Apparently, I've got pictures of John Hamm. Oh, no, I thought that was GQ part. or Esquire or something. Is no, that a brand new like, magazine? Yeah, I get it in the mail for free. I don't know why, but yes. I always get things for free. And it's a, a series of black and white photographs of John Hamm. In a 1960s automobile. Oh, so cool. Look at that. Yeah, no, I, that, the, Sarah's totally right about that. In a world of division and polarization, we can all agree that we are in love with John Everybody Hamm. Everybody is in love with John Hamm. Seriously, I don't give a rip, man. You think whatever you want. Holy I'm, crap. Yeah. He is... Yeah, I'm in love with he, him. I cannot believe that he can exist. Yeah. He is so beautiful. He exists in our world. Yes. He walks in on our, our time. soil. We've got to get him on the show. Just so we can tell it that we're all in love with him. Yeah. Hey, we all, we all want that's to what the podcast, get with you. That's what all the podcasts were. It was just a bunch of Jeez. men in a room talking about how much they were in love oh. with him. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. All right. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. Hello. How are you? Hello. Yes. Well, speaking of Mad Men, I did watch my first episode of Mad Men. You started at the beginning? The very yes, beginning the of the series? the very beginning, the very first episode. What'd you think? Holy crap. It's a great yeah. show. And the women, the way women are, like, being a woman and watching that, too, yeah. it's... Wow. I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Glad you're living now, not then. Yeah, totally. Uh, Todd the Corpse uh, watches that show, and I guess... He said that it took him about three or four episodes before his wife was comfortable watching it. She kept trying to quit watching because she couldn't handle the way women were treated. No, when he's yelling at the when that woman comes in, he's just like, I'm not going to let a woman speak to me yeah. like that. And gets up and lays. I'm like, wow. And he's giving her like a smack on the ass. Uh-huh. Toots, give me some coffee. Yeah, Todd was... And I love the way they set up the whole episode where like it starts out with him with his mistress and he goes out on a date with that woman yeah. and at the very end. like he, It doesn't even allude to the fact that he's married with kids. Yep. Until yeah. it like wraps it up and he like goes home and kisses his wife and his kids goodnight. I'm like, wow, that a, was a really good show. It's a different time, and what a beautiful looking show oh, Mad Men is. Yeah, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna try and watch some more episodes tonight. The, the production design on that show, the aesthetic, the color palette they use. I mean, it really is just it's quite something. And and I have to say, just to balance out how uh, balance out how gay I am for John Hamm, Christina Hendricks as Joan Holloway in The Office is like the hottest thing on two legs. <laughs> Who's that? The secretary girl was kind of annoying. Uh, the really short bangs. Peggy, the new girl. Yeah. yeah. Well, get used to her. Oh, really? No, no, no. She becomes. It's she becomes more likable. Well, because they're. The story, she really is, I, I think, the second lead character after John Hamm. The story is, the, the show is about her and John Hamm and about how John Hamm leads one kind of life, Don Draper, and how she, over time, starts as one kind of person and becomes another kind of person. Okay. So, it, it really is worth your time to watch that program and to invest in, in all the characters. Yes. So. My, yeah, so that was one of the many fabulous things I did Excellent. this weekend. And then so that's Ted Leo and Against Me. How was that? Oh, my God. It yeah. was so amazing. So I, amazing. I got text messages from people. And they're like, are you here? And I was like, no, my wife is still feeling under the weather. I'm at home. But everybody was texting me from the show telling me how great it was. Oh, my gosh. And Against Me played. I've, I've never seen them play Sync Floor to Sync Live, which was just amazing. And, uh, yeah, and then spent all day yesterday at the coast. It was like 75 degrees. Like, it was hot. It's going to be in the 70s again today. It was nice. It oh, was a really nice weekend. It was ridiculous. I'm like, this This is the week that Halloween's happening, mm-hmm. and I'm in a tank top on the yeah. coast right now. Yeah. Oh, turn up my pot. We might be able to hear this. Uh, Don Draper's Guide to Picking Up Women. Let's see if this, this works. Is from SNL. It is. Let's see if this works. All right. Fingers crossed. And... Yeah. Okay. Well, I tried. Well, that's great. Well, we'll come back to it later. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, excellent. Well, I'm glad we all had a satisfying weekend. Yes, and it indeed. was really nice. Uh, it you was. Know? It was beautiful. So, um, let's see. Just a couple brief notes. Oh, first of all, I will say this, and we'll get some phone calls here in a second. Um, speaking of things that are online, if you go to rickemerson.com, we have posted all of the work parts, as they're called in the industry, for uh, the political remix contest. We've got all the political sound bites we've been playing. The uh, She is a typical white person, and I'm a hockey mom from Alaska, and 
John McCain saying the C word. You go to rickemerson.com. Those sound bites are all there right now. It's the most recent blog entry. It's called Calling All Remixers. Uh, so you can go there and uh, submit your remix to, uh, uh, you know, to the program. And who knows, that you could create the next white wheat sourdough English muffin bagel. Um, so Mad Men last night, a couple things. A, I got a text last night from Susan Reynolds because the power went out in her neighborhood oh, 10 no. minutes before Mad Men came on. So Mad Men is supposed to come on last night. She was getting the East Coast feed. Mad Men is supposed to come on at, I think, uh, 7. At 6.55 or 6.50, I get a text message from Susan. She's like, WTF, the power's out of my neighborhood. If it's not back on in time for Mad Men, I am killing someone. And so far, I think the power came on literally 30 seconds before the Mad Men season finale was beginning. It was about to air. So she very nearly missed it. But here's what happened in my house yesterday. So Lara and I, um, uh, yesterday was Sunday, we got up. You know, we had those vintage newspapers here on Friday. And we had this kind of weird uh, weekend where we, we got up Sunday morning. And we had spent also, we Saturday night, we decorated the house for Halloween, because I'm a big Halloween fan. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, you know, we just, I don't know, I forget what we did on Saturday. We put something on in the background, music, and we decorated the house for Halloween. And part of our Halloween decoration, think whatever you want of me, I got these big-ass uh, coffee cups that are like these sort of weird kind of fall-looking coffee cups. They're like orange and black, and they're very cool. And so on Sunday morning, we sat around, and we had like these massive cups of coffee, and we just read that Washington newspaper from 1968, which was just like the weirdest confluence of of, of things all at once. We're sitting in the living room listening to contemporary music, drinking out of these weird Halloween cups, and then reading these newspapers from 1968. So it's just a weird Sunday. Then we uh, got caught up in some other TV watching we were doing. And then Sunday afternoon, yesterday, you know, we have a TiVo. Mm -hmm. At some point during the day, no one's quite sure how it happened. Something got spilled into the TiVo remote control and shorted it out and completely like, disabled it. And so I got ready to turn off the TV or something. And I'm pressing the TiVo remote control yesterday afternoon and nothing's happening. And, of course, here's the thing. I don't know how it is with, like, a regular, just like a generic Hydrox cookie DVR. With a TiVo... You don't have the remote, you got nothing. If you don't have the remote, you are effed. You are effed. There is nothing you can do to control your TiVo or watch TV if you do not have the TiVo remote control. And so yesterday, again, the season finale of Mad Men, and I'm clicking on the remote control, and I'm drying it out, and I'm doing the thing of trying to get the water out of it, and it's nothing is working, and I'm, you know, I'm shaking it back and forth and screaming and taking the name of the Lord God Almighty in vain. And finally... And around 6 o'clock last night, I realized that the TiVo remote is just belly up. I mean, it's hosed. And I'm looking at my watch going, oh my, okay, now this, this can't happen because I got the season finale of Mad Men coming up tonight. So at around 6.05, I told Larry, I'm like, get your things, get in the car, we're going. And uh, we just immediately started hitting one electronic store after another yesterday afternoon trying to find a TiVo remote control because there was no way I was going to miss the season finale of Mad oh, Men. Oh, you should have called me because I still have mine from my TiVo. Oh, right really? Here. See, I should have. Oh, you know, but it. I was gone, so never mind. Well, you know what? I and, but, and I'm just like, uh, I'm just totally like, uh, who's the I will return guy? Is that General, um, General MacArthur? Yes. So that's me, totally like hitting the beach in Normandy with my corncob pipe, like, Walking into the stores going, I need a TiVo remote control. Can you help me? Well, I don't think so, sir. Thank you. You know, inside leave. Um, finally got a remote control. Go home last night. Got it programmed just in time to watch the season finale. So, uh, which was exceptional. So, we'll be talking about the season finale of Mad Men more. Um, let's see. Clown Watch coming up. Snuff Watch. Penis Watch. All that. Uh, giving away a copy of The Incredible Hulk on DVD. We'll talk about the election. I got notes from uh, this weekend about that. Let's get some uh, phone calls before we do anything else. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Oh, well, hey, how you doing, Rick? What's up? Um, what's up? I, I was listening to the recap, and um, you were asking 
somebody, I was about how they, they compare the signatures on your ballot. Yeah, uh, we found. Did, did that, that ever get resolved? Yeah, we figured out that it's, it's, they compare the signature on your ballot to the signature on your registration. Well, all right, very good. When you got that? Now, what else? Uh, this has been bugging me. It's nothing really, but at the end of Dennis Miller, it's yeah. um, thank you for listening to Dennis Miller's. You know, the big voice comes on, right? And then you always cut it off, or you or somebody. Oh, it gets cut off by about a second and a half. Yeah, why is that? Yeah, that's actually um, a technical. So we air the Dennis Miller Show before this program comes on, and it says the Dennis Miller Show on the Westwood One Radio Network. But and you it, never get Westwood One. No, it gets cut off about a second early, and that's because that is what they call uh, a timed event, meaning uh, we don't wait for the network to trigger the next set of events here, which sometimes happens. Um, we just actually have it set so at a given time, which I think is nine. 59 and 50 seconds or something. It just goes to the next event, which is the beginning of the recap hour. That is just gotcha. put there so in case everything just is a complete disaster and nothing works. If the automated At system doesn't be. work, it'll absolutely it'll happen without our having to tell it to do so. Gotcha. Okay, and then one more thing. Yes, um, 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 the clock that you have in the studio, is that set a little bit ahead or behind or well, whatever? So that our clock here is accurate, but you're hearing everything 40 seconds late because we're on a delay. So you don't change the clock in the studio to make up or compensate for the fact that you're delayed. No, no, no. Oh, we make my head hurt. No, that would. Do that. I know. No, that would make everything too weird. No, no, no. We are we are actually on like the sort of atomic clock. We have an electronic clock that adjusts itself. I think every thirty seconds or something. But you are hearing everything forty seconds late because of our delay to prevent storm from staring okay. in the air. All these things I've just been wondering uh, about. Thank yep, you. Clear them all up. Well, have a great day. Help. All right, you too. One more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick, this is Dennis. What? I just wanted to uh, say if you could do, uh, for those of us that were at the beach as well enjoying the sunny weather, uh, you might want to put up a spoiler alert for those of us that don't know what the end of uh, Mad Men was. So it's like I keep having to turn the radio up and down and up and down, hoping that I don't hear anything I don't want to hear. Well, I will tell you this, that obviously if we're going to spoil anything, first of all, I won't just, not that this is a spoiler, but I don't think we would ever begin a Mad Men conversation by going, and he dies at the end. Yes, we're talking about last night's Mad Men. I mean, you would always know because we would we would start to say, hey, how about that Mad Men last night, which would then be your clue. But no, we'll try not to reveal anything like that. I appreciate that. I also wanted to wish you a happy National Cranky Coworkers Day. Is that actually today? That is actually today. It's also my wedding anniversary. That's why we missed Mad Men last night. But... Oh, congratulations, Dennis. Uh, well, Thank you. Yeah, everybody, to... Nobody knew. We made it three years. Uh, and <laughs> actually, then she probably... Getting divorce papers ready right now, but I don't know. But That's anyway, scary. I just I just wanted to uh, say National Happy Cranky Coworkers Day, and also now I can stop turning my radio up and down, hoping I don't oh, hear we'll, anything. We're so. gonna do it again later, so yeah, have your hand ready. All right, brother. All right, thank you, sir. All right, there you go. All right, then shall we break? Yes. yes. And then later on. All right, there we go. Don Draper's Guide to Picking Up Women. We'll play that in, we'll play uh, in that. a bit. All right, it's 503-733-2970. When we return, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Later on, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, we'll do another exit poll today and uh, more of your phone calls. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 
970-503-733-2970. All right. Uh, still to come today, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, James Roop. Um, let's see. Don't forget, one random on-air caller today wins a copy of The Incredible Hulk on DVD starring Ed Norton. Also, four packs of tickets to see Friday the 13th, the original Friday the 13th, tonight at the Regal Broadway, 7.30 p.m. Uh, random uh, callers today who get on the air will win a four-pack of tickets to see the original Friday the 13th tonight. And finally, last but not least, before we talk to Lisa Desjardins, this is actually a couple weeks out. Next Tuesday night is going to be uh, the Rick Emerson Show's political party happening Tuesday, September 7th, Grand Central uh, Bowl on 8th and Morrison in beautiful southeast Portland. And then the week after this, it's a, man, it's a busy few weeks here. The week after that, we are going to be doing the Portland premiere, AM 970, bringing you the Portland premiere of Quantum of Solace, uh, the new James Bond film. That is Thursday, November 13th. So be listening for that. It's all very exciting. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill. CNN Radio correspondent of the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hey, guys. How are you? How was your weekend? Satisfying in I'm, every way? Uh, it, it, it was generally good, I would say. I was uh, in the fine Buckeye state of Ohio. Okay. Uh, 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 on the campaign trail, as, as we like to say. What is a Buckeye? Yeah, it's a nut. Is it really? Yeah, it's a, it's a nut. And then, and the big, uh, the actual like foam mascot for Ohio State is he's got a big nut head. He's got a head that's a nut. <laughs> I'm just I'm getting I can I really hear me. that journalism degree at work right now. Yes, thank you. Exactly. That's what they call me old, old buck nuthead. Old <laughs> melanoma nut. That's All right. Case, yeah. uh, by the way, I will skip the obvious joke here about uh, I was to understand that Ohio was more of the acorn state. Oh, but the acorn bump. state. All you right. just want people in giant chipmunk suits to show up at your station. You know, you're weird. Uh, you say a lot of weird things sometimes. Um, well, I know because remember John McCain has people running around in chipmunk suits. And oh, I, is that I, like I, how... I, I know you remember that, yeah, and you, you seem to delight in that for for a moment. Is that like how uh, Michael Moore used to have the um, crackers, the uh, the corporate crime-fighting chicken or something? Well, it, it's kind of, yeah, it's, right. a, it's, it's a lot like that, yeah. Hey, i got a couple of things to bring up. Um, one is an observation. The other is a suggestion. And, you know, I realize now, too late, what I should have been doing this whole election cycle, I should have been publishing, I should have purchased some domain name, I should have put up a website, and I should have been just been offering free advice to both sides of the, uh, you know, uh, yeah. of the aisle yeah, here. Yeah. I should yeah. have been doing like a Rick Emerson's political dirty yeah. trick of the day. Yeah, I think that's like, you know, but there's still time. I suppose. There's still time. This is when the real dirty tricks come out. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I should have had some sort of, uh, you know, advice of the day from Rick Emerson, and that each, you know, Monday would be Democrats, Tuesday Republicans, Thursday Independent, Mon you know, and then back like at the it. beginning. So I've got, yeah. I've got one of those today, and then I've got a couple observations. Uh, my observation, okay. first of all, is... On CNN this weekend, I was watching as they were they were talking about Barack Obama being back home in Hawaii because he's visiting his grandmother and so forth. And I have to say, I know a lot of times it seems like we sort of uh, pick on the Republicans for being evil and manipulative and so forth. But there was just the most pandering footage of Barack Obama, which is where he's doing that like like lonely man lost you know lost yeah, within yeah. the where he's walking yeah. down the streets like James Dean in the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Do you know the footage yeah. I'm talking about? Um, you know what's funny is I actually never saw that footage, but what I saw was the email describing it, which I think you might have liked even more. Uh, the embed, the guy, the CNN producer who, you know, is traveling with Obama, uh, sent out an email, you know, describing every every shot that they had of him when he walked out of the hotel at that point, and he 
specifically described, I think, that shot. He said, best shot. And it may have been in all caps, you know, where Obama alone and walking, you know, I don't know if he said looking for Lauren, but you could tell it was kind of of in there. What else do we have? Uh, A great ad from the McCain campaign this weekend where they have that audio of Joe Biden saying, and there will be an international crisis. You know, it will happen. And then they have the voiceover going. But it doesn't have to happen. <laughs> it just says John McCain 08, which is beautiful. And it's all like very, very dark video. And it's totally. like, it doesn't have to happen. And then all of a sudden, very bright John McCain, happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. before I get to my, uh, my, uh, my political trick suggestion for the day, where are we in terms of, in terms of the election eight days out? Where, where, are the, where are the candidates today and what are they doing? Yeah. Well, this is the funny thing. And we'll, pro- we'll probably be talking about this all this week, but I am right now, I am sitting on the CNN Election Express, and we have just left Ohio, which is where, um, which it's funny that we're doing this, because that's where both Barack Obama and John McCain um, are, um, both of them giving speeches in Ohio, and then both of them going to Pennsylvania today in a very rare sort of pas de deux, I guess, uh, very rare parallel schedules that they both are having. And, you know, the deal is that Ohio essentially, as most people know, I gave President Bush the election. It was the one the state that put him over the top, and it was very, very close. It's poll show. It's leaning Obama. So both of these guys are just arm wrestling over the state right now. And it's been great this last weekend because I actually went to a small town in Ohio, Lima, Ohio. And, you know, conservatives there, it, it, the, the storyline rings true. It doesn't always. But conservatives there that I talked to said for the first time they're thinking about a Democrat, and they're thinking about Barack Obama. They They don't. Their values are the same. They're still pro-life. They still have the same ideas, but they they, they don't trust that uh, Republicans will really fix the economy. What so, to, and then and then to Pennsylvania, really same set of arguments there. Uh, what to make of these stories that have come out over the weekend? This is let me read this here. Um, I love this phrase. Let's see. This is from uh, this is from CNN. What to make of these stories from CNN over the weekend, where it says. Uh, a second McCain source says that Palin appears to be looking out more for herself than the McCain campaign. And then the money right. line right here is, quote, Sarah Palin is a diva. She takes no oh, advice God. from anyone. She does not have any relationships of trust with anyone, her family, or anyone else, said one McCain advisor. That is a pretty harsh quote right there. She has no trust. She doesn't trust anyone, including her family. She's a diva. She, she doesn't know how anyone. to love. She doesn't know how to love, you know, when is, I mean, that's just one tiny speck away from the ice queen quote. Totally. You know, but, you know, I think there's a lot going on there. I, I think I go back and forth on this. Uh, you know, the, the, the level one of that story is that this is a campaign that is struggling. The numbers are against them. It doesn't look good. Sarah Palin wants to be um, a force in the Republican Party nationally for many years to come. And she knows that her approval numbers have dramatically gone down in the last month. I mean, they've, they've gone from, I think, 54% something to, like, right. 32%, something like that. So so basically, her the people close to her are blaming the McCain people. The McCain people are blaming her for his problems. Very typical of, you know, anyone in a losing situation. You're going to – everyone blames everyone. But yet then you have the whole Sarah, Mer- Sarah, Sarah America, Sarah Palin persona where – she does seem like someone who wants to go off on her own. And these handlers, the truth of, of, about it is these, these the, the handlers for Sarah Palin are Bush people. They are the folks that worked with George Bush uh, all the way back to 2000, some of them. And they are used to running a tight ship 
where this is what we're doing, this is what we're saying, we're all on board this, go. Sarah Palin doesn't really follow that script, and, and things aren't going well. So there's all kinds of finger pointing. But I wonder if there's not another – I'm starting to overthink this maybe, but I wonder if this isn't some sort of strange attempt at saying, look, she is a maverick. She's, she's going to buck her handlers. You know, she, she's someone she knows. She's for real. She knows what she wants to do. You know, she is in control. You can't tell Sarah Palin what to do. You know, I, I, I'm not sure, but I, I wonder if there isn't kind of a, a strange attempt um, at, at setting her image that way. Maybe. I don't, and I don't want to, again, be too melodramatic or, or overstate all this, but it does seem to me, just from my vantage point, that, that really once this election is said and done, and all indications are that Barack Obama would really have to work pretty hard to lose at this point. Um, that is just my read on it. But once this election is said and done, assuming that the Republicans are not victorious, it seems to me that the GOP is at a real crossroads where they're either mm-hmm. going to, they going forward are either going to embrace Sarah Palin and or candidates like her, or they are going to stop and really look around and retool themselves to try to recapture more of the electorate. Because you've got to figure right now that the Republican base they're only kept they're capturing about 40 to 45% of the electorate right now and they're going to have to do something to move themselves up above 50% if they want to start taking stuff back right and, and the population is going the other direction more urban right. more minority more democratic yeah so it's a, i'll be curious to see what happens i think they are going to be at a real crossroads and they're going to have to figure out within themselves do do they continue down this road of more candidates like Sarah Palin and even slicker versions of Sarah Palin, or are they going to stop and try to somehow become, you know, a little bit more populist, uh, you know, in terms of appealing to everyone, in terms of appealing to a bigger tent? It, it, it'll be tricky. Um, my, uh, my Although I have a feeling that she sees herself as a populist, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Sarah Palin is, is already, she is the Hillary Clinton of the Republican Party, very polarizing, yeah. you love her or you hate her. Absolutely. Uh, let's see here. Um, and finally, here is my final thing before we go. This is my suggestion. Now, I think last Friday, I think I gave a suggestion to the McCain campaign. I can't remember what it was. But the McCain campaign had a really good ad running this weekend that uh, it doesn't have to happen ad. So this one is, um, this is a suggestion <laughs> to the Obama campaign to keep things okay. fair. Here's what the Obama campaign or someone who is um, technically unaffiliated with them, maybe something they should do. Somebody should leak onto the Internet what purports to be the rough draft text of John McCain's concession speech. That, somebody, should, somebody should release onto the net in a way that looks official something that purports to be the working text for John McCain's concession speech. There you, you are, go, you right there. You I'm are just, devious. I'm saying that's a thing that would get forwarded around. Everybody would read it, and it would further the perception that he's toast, when, of course, perception paces reality in politics and everything. So right. there you go. Well, and you know the inauguration story for Barack Obama is not true. I'm sorry? The, you know that the story that Barack Obama, that his inaugural address has been written. Oh, is not true? That's not true. I that did, story is not true. Did I see, though, that they are actually beginning the physical construction on the place where he's going to give, like, his big you know, his speech on election night, though? Oh, in Chicago? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they began that days ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, there you go. So that's another little uh, McLaren-esque idea from the mind like of Rick Emerson. <laughs> All right. Enjoy your day. We will talk to you soon, okay. Lisa. Okay, and, great. Uh, Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Um... Let's see. Oh, speaking of Sarah Palin, and before we talk to Steve Kastenbaum, it is worth noting that Richie Bristol during the break did bring in what purports to be a Sarah Palin blow-up sex doll. Doesn't look anything like her, but you know what? It's all about the... I have the box here. Yeah. 
This is not... <laughs> that sounded wrong. Okay. It's all about what's on the box, Sarah. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what's so weird looking about it is it doesn't even look like her. It doesn't even have glasses no, on it. Clearly it's just it's a just, weird, like, blown-up head. It is Clearly, it's just a leftover blow-up sex doll that they Did had. Do you see how they, unattractive this woman is? I think she's the woman from the Sarah Palin porn film, though. Um, or maybe not. Well, who made is it from Hustler? Who made the, the, the doll? Um, Let's see. Topco Sales? No, that is not Hustler. You're right. That woman doesn't uh, doesn't look at me. Maybe she's not. She looks a little older than the woman in the porn film. She actually looks Native American, this woman. Yeah. No, I could see that. No, no, I'm with you. I could totally yeah. see that. Anyway, so it really is all just about the packaging. So Richie brought this in during a break. Uh, he was like, hey, check out this Sarah Palin blow-up sex doll. Which, he, by the way, had already blown up. It's, we didn't have to inflate it. Richie had already... Uh, and he already adorned it with some kind of like pink scarf thing. Yeah, too. It's covered in beads. So, thanks so much. Thanks, Richie. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Let's welcome now from New York City, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. How's life, sir? How are things? Pretty good. From New York City by way of Philadelphia today. Are you not? Oh, I'm sorry. That's uh, that's my fault. I read this incorrectly. Philadelphia, PA. Yeah. Um, all right, so... Okay, and so, so what am I doing here? <laughs> what are you doing there, Steve? I'm uh, covering the World Series, and uh, tonight the Philadelphia Phillies are going to try to make... The citizens of this city's dreams come true by winning the World Series on their home turf in Game 5 against the Tampa Bay Rays. Let me ask you this question, just because I'm not much of a sports guy, and so I I really have – it's difficult for me to keep my finger on the pulse of these things. Compared to where we were in this country 10, 20, 30 years ago, how much excitement does the World Series command among Americans in general, would you say? Well, well, this year is a unique year because uh, this year – Nobody seems to really care outside of Philadelphia, and folks in Tampa barely care at all anyway. Uh, You know, it's because of the election and the economy. Those two stories are dwarfing the World Series this year. If it had been a Cubs-Red Sox World Series, I think you would have had a lot of uh, folks interested in it outside of those cities. But because of of which teams we're talking about here, I mean, well, Philadelphia fans, I don't know, are you familiar with the Philadelphia sports fan? I will tell you that I, uh, for for some time ago, uh, back when I lived in Utah, I lived in this house of dudes, and uh, it was me and four guys from Philadelphia, and Philadelphia, maybe these <clears throat> guys were the exception, maybe not, but they were pretty, uh, they were pretty freakish about it. They, I mean, it was not a joke to them. They took it all very seriously. The Philadelphia sports fan, and I talk about this as a, as a unique uh, species, uh, or a, what's the subsect of a species? I forgot the word. No, no, no. species is, in fact, the, the, the it's, you know, um, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Ah, okay. So the, uh, the, the species known as the Philadelphia sports fan is very unique. Uh, they eat, drink, and sleep. The Philadelphia Eagles, the Flyers, right. and the Phillies, and occasionally the 76ers, although they're really not that good. So... Uh, they, I mean, they live and die by how their sports teams do every year. Sorry, I'm out in the street and a motorcycle's going by. Not at all. But uh, so they are going crazy because uh, the Phillies only have one championship under their belt in the World Series, and that came in 1980. They've been disappointed uh, many years before. So they are just going crazy. And then yesterday, uh, before the Phillies game four against the Rays, uh, there was an Eagles football game right across the street at the link at the big uh, football stadium. So can you imagine what that's like if you're a sports fan and you're a season ticket holder, you go see uh, the Eagles in the morning, uh, in the afternoon, and then walk across the street at night 
and go see the Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series. Well, I will tell you this. Living in the Northwest, the comparison I can make is in some alternate uh, universe where they didn't suck, it would be like having the Seahawks and the Mariners both win uh, a championship or come close to winning a championship. That's exactly what it would be like. Yeah. I, you know, also, i gotta, I got to tell you, uh, I'm hanging out. Uh, my hotel is actually near uh, UPenn, the University of Pennsylvania, a fine institution which I would have never gotten into, by the way. Um, but uh, I'm enjoying that because I live vicariously now through these college students. But this is one of those trips that you should have been on with me because the gastronomical tour of Philadelphia is one not to be missed. No, it's uh, they got a whole. You can do some eating in that city, from what I'm told. I don't think that uh, you are. You can live your life here as, as a male. Uh, and finish off life with having a waistline below 40 inches. Well, it's weird. It's, it's interesting that you note that because the, the guys at the House of Dudes <clears throat> who were from Philly, they all were uh, they were men of size. They were men of large carriage, as Mike O'Mara would say. And uh, and it did seem like they brought those eating habits from Philadelphia. So yeah, every every single guy here is is uh, pretty uh, pretty rotund. And they all look like they ought to be off fixing a refrigerator somewhere. Exactly, every single one of them. Yeah, they. Uh, well, you know what it is? It's because of it's because of the hoagie and the and and not just the cheesesteak, but the hoagie in general. Because it's a big piece of chewy, glutinous bread, and it tastes delicious, no matter what sandwich you're making on it. And then they slop this gravy over their roast beef, or the or the or the cheesesteak is just you know melted cheese all over the place. Or, or I had an eggplant parmesan hero the other day. You, you should have been there. I'm going to tell you, it, it, again, this is based on my experience with folks from Philadelphia. There's nothing that isn't made better by having a gallon of melted cheese poured right on top of it. I mean, really, it, that is the that is the be-all, end-all of condiments. Yeah, well, I, I have mapped out uh, a bunch. This is the great thing about Philadelphia. In New York, they've done away with all of those old mom-and-pop shops that uh, you know, you, you used to want to go to that uniquely New York. There are very few restaurants right. in New York, you know, right now where you feel you're getting the New York flavor. Here in Philly, I don't know if it's because of the uh, the economic situation in Philadelphia over the years, but all of those places, all of them are still in existence. So you can go to any neighborhood, and there's the famous institution in that neighborhood where you must go and, and eat a roast beef sandwich or a cheesesteak or, or something that, you know, they're known for. Recession-proof businesses, my friend. They really are, and, right. and I love the people of Philly. Uh, uh, enjoy the game. Enjoy your uh, trip. Travel safe, and we will talk to you upon your return, my friend. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm here for a baseball game, aren't I? Yes. <laughs> Theoretically <laughs> speaking. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. There you go, Steve Casabell. Do one call. We'll take a break. Back after this with Tim Riley. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hello, Rick. How Hello. are you doing today? Hi. Hey, what's up, sir? Hey, uh, as politically uh, oriented as you are and aware, yes. have you given any thought to something that was on the front page of today's Oregonian known as the Bradley Effect? What is the what? Oh, the Oregonian. Um, yeah, the Bradley Effect, which is uh, something that is – the Bradley Effect, is, which in effect states that people will lie to pollsters – but then be their bigoted selves in the voting booth, which is why sometimes non-white candidates who poll very well often underperform because they feel that people are much more racist in the privacy of the voting booth than they are when they're talking to a pollster. Yeah, it's uh, kind of scary to think that we're still a bunch of closet racists and Obama's lead in the polls may just well, be a myth. I mean, I think it is worth noting that for whatever reason, uh, you know, the Obama campaign continues to, I think rightly, lean on everybody about not slacking off and just keeping the keeping the accelerator mashed to the floor until uh, until all the votes are in. So remains to be seen. So, well, all right. Rick, I, I just want to say, best show ever. Thank you, sir. Love you guys. Thank you for speaking out for the geeks and all of us. That's what we do. Thank you, sir.
Thank you. All right, there you go. Spread the word. All right, let's take a break. Back after this, Tim Riley around the corner from the Ministry of Truth. Later on, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop, Clown Watch, Snuff Watch, Penis Watch. Don't forget, uh, random on-air callers today win four packs of tickets to see Friday the 13th, the original, tonight at the Broadway. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Still to come, CNN Radio Correspondent Jim Roop. Clown Watch, Snuff Watch, Penis Watch. Don't forget, one random on-air caller today wins a copy of The Hulk on DVD, uh, starring Ed Norton, ladies and gentlemen. Also, uh, random on-air callers throughout the day will win four packs of tickets. to see the original Friday the 13th uh, tonight at the Broadway uh, Regal, the Regal Broadway, that is tonight, uh, as part of their, uh, I don't have the copy point. That was me bluffing for time while I try to find their copy points. Well, for the love of God. Well, whatever. We'll read those later. Anyway, uh, so that is uh, as we go throughout today's program. This, however, at the Ministry of Truth is Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. The Amber Alert for Jennifer Hudson's missing nephew has been called off. Chicago police canceled the alert for seven-year-old Julian King after the body of a boy matching his description was found in a white SUV early this morning. Illinois State Police Lieutenant Luis Gutierrez confirms they are no longer looking for the vehicle, which belongs to the chief suspect in the case, but King remains missing in their database until somebody identifies the body. Oscar winner Hudson offered a $100,000 reward for anyone who could help uh, her bring home her nephew. King was reported missing on Friday after a brutal attack in the Hudson family home left the singer's mother and brother dead. Investigators say a man shot by railroad workers held a weapon in one hand and a gun in the other. So how could they resist? Now, the uh, can of gas was ignited. So that, well, that presents another danger. So why not be shot? The shooting occurred at 4 o'clock over the weekend on North Portland Road and Columbia Boulevard after a lengthy chase. Burlington Northern Railroad employees say they chased the man along the tracks after learning he had an arrest warrant. They eventually caught up with him at a transient camp. The cops at the scene say the suspect then charged them while armed with a weapon and a gas can that he had lit on fire, left no choice to hand to shoot him. The suspect underwent surgery yesterday and could be transferred to jail as early as this afternoon. By the way, Richie's now sending me photographs of him posing with the Sarah Palin blow-up doll. Yeah, I got that one, too. All right, thanks, Richie. Here's something to say for the grandchildren, I guess. This is Tim Riley. Izzy's is closing down five restaurants. That's Izzy's, the pizza place. The economic crisis is uh, gripping the nation. It's taking its choice. Izzy's is a local chain of family restaurants. They have 23, stretching from Seattle to central Oregon. Uh, customers showing up at closed locations found the lights off of the doors locked and a handwritten note saying simply, sorry, we are closed. Uh, the first Izzy's opened up in 1979, expanded to a chain in 1979. Izzy's is not named after a fellow, but a lady named Isabel. Her nickname was Izzy. Uh, she owned several Shakey's. Remember Shakey's way back when? Wait, hold on. So Izzy also owned Shakey's? Well, Izzy started off as Shakey's. She bought up a bunch of old Shakey's with her husband and then converted them to Izzy's. 
So confusing. Oh, wait, so she didn't start Shakey's. No, no, she bought up some old Shakey's. And then converted them into Izzy's Pizza. So how many locations are there of the Izzy's? Are they all going out of business? Only five so far. Five so far. I will say this, um, the Izzy's did not, uh, not a restaurant where I spend a lot of time, but I will say that Shakey's Pizza growing up, that was one of the fine pizzas of my youth. Um, I don't know if that was just a Northwest thing. Do they, do they have a Shakey's Pizza in the East Coast? They sure do, with the player pianos. Yeah, and, and it had the old school, like the Keystone Cops kind of feel to it. And they have these old-time signs on cinder block walls, which is really strange. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's, I do remember many, many, many evenings in my youth uh, going to Shakey's Pizza, and they would have these kind of weird black-and-white player piano silent mm-hmm. film things playing. Uh, and the pizza was actually really good. It, it, it was very similar to Pietro's Pizza. Which to me is really one of the gold standards because it had that um, it had that crushed garlic breadcrumb thing on the bottom of the pizza. And Shakey's had that as well. So, all right. So fewer people are dining out as budgets tighten and families eat more meals at home. That happened to me at my favorite uh, coffee place at the streets of Tannisborn, where I usually hang out on weekends. I went there Saturday. Closed. Everything gone. Not even a sign saying goodbye. Just a for rent. Uh, for rent sign on the door. Now, see, this has got to throw your whole schedule into just chaos, though. It was. It was my favorite place to, to sit around, have a cup of coffee, and answer my email. Now we got to find a new place to go. See, because you and I had this conversation on Friday about uh-huh. your, your restaurant thing, about how you have five restaurants that you go to in order mm-hmm. every Saturday, and then if, you know, not every Saturday, but, you know, the one on Saturday, two on Saturday, three on Saturday. So... And if one restaurant is somehow missed or closed or they can't seat you, then it just you have to skip them and come around to them next time. So it is with your coffee place, probably. So now, are you? How will you go about finding a replacement I, coffee I, place? I don't know. I I, I, I just <laughs> when you just I, you slumped over just now and just exhibited the greatest sadness. I, I really don't know. You're at loose ends. There is no place like it because if you go to a Starbucks, which I never do, I think you have to have T-Mobile. But this place had Wi-Fi that you didn't have to pay for, and uh, it had a nice fireplace, but it started to go downhill, as every place always goes downhill when they have folk music one night a week. Oh, no, 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 that's, a, that, that's an indicator. don't like pushing furniture to the side, no. making way for folk singers while they're trying to check their email. No one likes to go to a coffee shop like that and have a musical performance going on, because all it does... First of all, no one's ever there to see the musician except for, like, their girlfriend and, like, their two dirtbag roommates. Yes. And the other people who are there don't want to hear it. When you go to a coffee shop or anything like that, and you're trying to eat, trying to... Especially if it's a place like a coffee shop that is supposed to be soothing and relaxing. It has a nice fireplace and nice leather chairs. Well, they took away the leather couch, and that was the first sign that something was going wrong. They took away the leather couch to make room for the folk singer. Me, And then, of course, you know, you get some idiot with a harmonica rack, uh-huh. uh, you know, in a squeeze box up at the front trying to sing about, you know, trying to sing about how John Henry was a steel-driving man. And then you can't talk to any of your friends because like, you have to listen out of, you know, pity and... Totally. Well, the other point is, no one at the streets of Tannisborn cares about some musician's personal problems. No. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, that pretty much sealed it there. So when there's a, some guy up there with a, with a battered acoustic Talking guitar. About simple life. Trying people to, have these huge mortgages to pay. Trying to sing about the starving peoples of Uganda. And meanwhile, there's some guy trying to, and by guy I mean Tim, trying to buy a $5 pumpkin chai latte. So... You know what I'm talking about. So yes, I, I do. No, but I'm with you on that. I really am. As much as I love music and as much as I love coffee, those two things typically shouldn't go together. And you are right that that is one of the indicators that your favorite coffee place is about to go downhill. They start bringing in some jackass to sit up there and sing to you on a Sunday. Nobody sits there for the entertainment. No. No, they don't, Tim. Uh, I will say that the, uh, the co- my coffee shop of choice, which I, won't, I, I probably won't identify, but it, my coffee shop of choice in my neighborhood, they don't have anything like that. Uh, it is it is it, free of uh, musicians. It's free of uh, distractions. They don't they, they don't have like movies going on in the background. It's, you, know, you you go there 
And they ju- and as much as I'm not a jazz fan, you go there typically on a Saturday or Sunday morning, they have a little low-key jazz or sometimes some big band music going. Coffee, that's it. Nothing. And they and they have a real strict policy about cell phone usage, by the way, at my, at my neighborhood coffee house. Maybe I'll have to come to your neighborhood since my haunt has been removed. You'd be slumming it. <laughs> um, but you go to my, my neighborhood coffee place, you try to talk on a cell phone, guy comes over, politely but firmly asks you to continue your conversation outside. He will say... Well, sir, we want to, and he, they frame it exactly the right way. If you try to get on your cell phone to, 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 to talking to your sister-in-law about how your deadbeat husband won't pay his child support or whatever, guy comes over and he says, you know, we want to make sure that your cell phone conversation isn't uh, interrupted by the sounds of, you know, the business. So um, maybe you can take your cell phone conversation, finish it outside, and come back in when you're done. And they're very polite, but obviously, but you know the deal. And so they don't let anybody, they're sort of flapping their gums on a cell phone. Um, but I'm going to miss it. No more Michelangelo. Photos on the ceiling anymore? Yeah. It was classy. No, it's uh, those places. And you know what? You get really attached to them. You do. You do. Here's Ever since the, I moved there. Speaking of Izzy's Pizza and Shaky's Pizza and yes. things that you get used to, so you know where Laura and I went last night? This is, so we had, so on Saturday we kind of stuck close to home. She was sort of feeling under the weather. Yesterday, we went out to find a, a new TiVo remote control because the last one had gone, it, it, it was belly up and we were going to be able to watch Mad Men. So we went out, we did that, and... One of the reasons that Laura and I get along so well, one of the great areas in which we click is just our mutual appreciation for and sort of perverse fascination with various, how shall I phrase this, various, um, I don't even know the adjective to use. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know where you're going with this. Well, let me put it this way. Laura and I have on more than one occasion... Gone out, picked up it, speaking of coffee, gone out, we pick ourselves up some coffee or whatever. We get in the car, we'll bring some great music with us, and we will actually spend a a, a good chunk of the evening doing a long drive down, in this case, 82nd, just as far as 82nd will take us, uh, just uh, appreciating the unique sights and sounds and uh, slices of Portland culture presented by 82nd Avenue. I'll put it that way. We will find a sort of unconventional amusement looking at many of the many of the elements of Portland's tapestry on 82nd Avenue. And I think we all know what I'm saying there. So, you know what I mean? Just because because she and I both come from small towns and we come from, uh, you know, very uh, sort of, uh, you know, communities that I think have a lot of the same flavor. Mm -hmm. So... Last night was another one of those nights where we're like, we, we went to get the TiVo remote, and we're sort of like, what should we do? I don't know. Let's just let's just drive down 82nd and see what amuses us. So you know where we ended up last night? This is completely true. You were talking about Shakey's Pizza. Last night we ended up at Chuck E. Cheese, which I haven't gone to a Chuck E. Cheese since I was probably, I think I, I went. I wouldn't even know where to find a Chuck E. Cheese. 82nd Avenue, Sarah. Oh, yes. Uh, 82nd and Powell. And I don't think I've gone to a Chuck E. Cheese since I was about 18. I think when I moved away from home, I think I went home from for Christmas, uh, you know, like it, like when I was about 18, I think I'd moved away, but then I came up for Christmas and met up with some friends of mine. And we sort of like ironically, like kookily, let's go back to Chuck E. Cheese. But I think that's the last time I went there. So it's been almost 20 years. So Laura and I went into a Chuck E. Cheese last night. And I have to tell you, first of all, I should say, that place was packed. You want to talk about a recession-proof business? Sunday night, that Chuck E. Cheese, man, there was everything but a line out the door. I mean, that place was just, it was like standing room only. But I will have to say, 
that the Chuck E. Cheese, as it currently exists now, and this is not one of those, like, everything was better when I was a kid, I think maybe it is just they've realized that they don't have to be as elaborate as they used to because they've kind of cornered the market. I mean, they've got that they've got that, that place all to themselves. And it was just one big room. And I do seem to remember, Sarah, do you have Chuck E. Cheese when you grew up? Yes, but we, uh, we were very infrequently allowed to go there. Was it multiple rooms? No, I think it was just one big room. See, so the one in Kennewick, and this is the only time you'll ever hear this phrase, the one in Kennewick must have been more elaborate. Um, in Kennewick, I realized that it was probably not as big as I seem to recall, because, again, when you're a kid, everything seems huge. It's like you ever go back to your old junior high, and the, you know you go to the bathroom, and the urinals are like, you know, they're like six inches off the ground. Um, but the Chuck E. Cheese in Kennewick was actually in several rooms. I think they had purchased some sort of previously existing building. And there was a little uh, common area, and then there was four separate theaters set off in their own wings. So I was kind of spoiled by Kennewick. But we go to the Chuck E. Cheese last night, one big-ass room, and i got to tell you, it, it, it really is interesting you go in there because everything is designed for kids. Everything is too bright, too loud, too much, too hectic, too many bells and whistles and alarms and sirens and screams and cackles and redemption gangs going ding, 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 ding all night long. You do sort of realize what it's like to be a parent, um, you know, in 2008. So, anyway, I have no real point here except to say that that's a thing I haven't seen in about 20 years. And I thought for some reason that kids would have outgrown Chuck E. Cheese because of home video game systems. You know, if you have an Xbox, what do you need to go to Chuck E. Cheese for? I can tell you, you want some company to invest in? You find the company that owns Chuck E. Cheese, you invest in that company. Because that place was packed out to the street last night. It was It was astounding. So... Anyway, all right, here's Tim Riley. So a teenager was slashed during a fight at a Portland skate park. This happened at Gabriel Park, which is normally a nice place to go. Dozens of teens were uh, shedding their skateboards across concrete while uh, sitting up against a wall. And apparently they were picking on this one kid too much, and he hit back. According to one of the skateboarders who witnessed the fight, the boy who was being picked on had a knife and used it after a group of boys taunted him for more than a half an hour, repeatedly taking his skateboard. They came up to get his board back, and another boy took it. Then they started scuffling, and the board's owner reached in his pocket, pulled out a knife, and cut him. Really? Uh-huh. Okay. So don't mess with the wrong kids. By the way, here's an email. Rick, I'm, uh, I'm listening to you try to describe the culture on Eddie Second that you're looking at. Just say it. It reminds you of Kennewick. All they're missing are fish sticks and hee-haw reruns. All right. Well, there you go. I'll just, it I'll, makes you feel like home, That's Rick. the thing. I was trying to find a way not to go, it's just like being at Kennewick. That doesn't really sound like I, a ringing endorsement. I, too, am comfortable at those trashy places because it does remind me of Bremerton. <laughs> that, see, and I was trying to not, you know, a man likes to have pride in his neighborhood. I was, yes. trying, I was trying not to label Southeast Portland with, with some, sort of, um, some sort of negative descriptor. But, I mean, really, you, I, there's no getting around it. That's the thing about 82nd Avenue. It really is like stepping back into yesteryear and living in Kennewick. Um, so, I mean... You know, what are you going to do? A man cannot A man cannot escape his roots. And it's fun to go on adventures like that. Well, that's, like, that, that's, that's why that's you're it, in Kevlar. That's why I look at every day. Like, it's an, like if, if you haven't got a Chuck E. Cheese, I'm like, that's a fun day. Like, totally. Find something to do that you haven't done and do it. See, and I think that it's, you know, I'm so glad that you and I agree on that. And I guess it shouldn't surprise me at this point, because you and I do have sort of a, a similar worldview in some ways. Mm. And I know there are people, Tim Riley, who would not really see the joy in driving up and down 82nd all night and then going to Chuck E. Cheese. In fact, I'm pretty sure you'd rather be set on fire, but I, but you appreciate that, Sarah, and I know that some of your friends would, would know why that mm -hmm. is great. And you know what? Lara and I last night, th there was no 
We didn't have to explain to each other why we wanted to drive down 82nd Avenue and then go to Chuck E. Cheese. We both just knew why that was great and terrible. Oh, I'm so, happy you guys found each other. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there's someone for everyone. Meanwhile, Tim is going to the streets of Tannis Board and lamenting the fact that um, there's a folk singer at his favorite coffee house. Not anymore. Well, not anymore. Here's Tim Riley. Now I have to find a new place. Well, the new computers at the Oregon DMV will never forget a face. The State Motor Vehicle Division is installing new computers to compare a new driver's license photo with the old one to see if they match. The idea is to make it harder for criminals to get fake IDs. The Beaverton company behind the new technology also needs time to review all the license application photos. The DMV workers will make the final decision after the computer makes the comparison. After the photo is confirmed, a laminated permanent driver's license with the new photo is sent in the mail. Oh, by the way, someone has clarified that uh, that Chuck E. Cheese is on 92nd and uh, and Powell, not 82nd. Well, that's even worse, isn't it? <laughs> I don't Wait, know, Wait, is Tim. it right next to the Goodwill out there? Uh, yeah, there's that McDonald's. So it's 92nd, oh, it's like not 82nd. Okay, it's like yeah, that retro-looking McDonald's. Okay. Next so. to the Prisoner Work Release Program. <laughs> <laughs> See how I, I work really hard to try to be... Uh, even-handed and balanced about these things, then Tim just cuts right to the cuts right to the chase. Tim skips to the bottom of the page. Um, yeah, so we were on 82nd, which is where we ended up going to get that TiVo remote last night, and then uh, we just decided to make a night of it. Why not stay in this particular part of uh, of Portland for the entire thing? And really, I mean, look, lest anybody think I'm uh, trying to be above it all, you know what? I only live like 45 seconds from that Chuck E. Cheese anyway. So, all right, here's Tim Riley. I don't have one bad story from Southeast, so you're kind of filling in the blanks today. It's, there I'm, have been no muggings, no kidnappings, CERT has not been called out, there were no hostage incidents, no gunplay, no robberies. Everybody was busy at Chuck E. Cheese. Over yeah. the weekend, the whole weekend. I, I, so I searched several sites, I can't find one crime in Southeast. That's for like three days then. I will tell you this, uh, that actually I no longer even notice it at my house when I, uh, when I first lived in in the house where, where Lara and I are now, because we used to live down the street and we've moved. But it, apparently the street on which we live is some sort of a, it is a preferred conduit or thoroughfare for cops who need to get from one part of southeast Portland to another. Well, that's a good thing. Because they're not, a lot of times they don't even stop in front of our house. They're not even stopping in our street, but they drive by our house a lot at night with lights going, siren on. And so when they drive by our house, the windows are set up just so that it reflects, it reflects just right. So that whenever a cop drives by our house, the red and blue lights uh, reflect on my television. And it actually weirded me out for the first few weeks that I lived in that house. I'd be sitting there watching, like, McNeil Lair or something late at night. And all of a sudden, my television would begin to have the, the reflection of red and blue flashing cop lights. And it actually doesn't even phase me anymore. I don't even notice. Sometimes they're stopping at the apartment building next door to do some beatings. But usually it's just because they're on the way to somebody else. So and they're practicing for the real thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. A woman found a possible pipe bomb in a mailbox in the Couve. B.J. McCoy, not a, not a radio disc jockey, but a lady. Is that a country singer? I guess. B.J. McCoy went out to get her paper when she found that her mailbox was open as suspicious device was inside. It was a six-inch cylinder wrapped in white paper with wires around it. It appeared that somebody lit the device or stuck it in the mailbox. I'm not going to give her a address. Why did they do that just to make it worse? <laughs> There's no indication that uh, BJ was specifically targeted because her mailbox was first on the block. She's hoping it's a prankster. The Portland bomb squad is still examining the device. Here's an interesting story. This comes to us from England. A passenger on a French train had to be rescued by a fireman after having his arm sucked down a train toilet. Ah! 
The 26-year-old victim was trapped when he tried to fish out his mobile phone, which had fallen into the toilet bowl and fell foul of the suction system. This was a high-speed TGV train. It had to stop for two hours while firemen tried to cut through the train's pipework. The man was carried away by emergency services with the toilet still attached to his arm. He came out on a stretcher <laughs> with his arm still jammed in the toilet bowl. Uh, all right. So uh, this is a train uh, traveling in western France. Jesus. Uh, by the way, this says, uh, Rick, speaking of Chuck E. Cheese, I don't know if you've seen the South Park where they go to Casa Bonita. It is like an overly elaborate Mexican-themed version of a Chuck E. Cheese. But that is actually a real place. That Casa Bonita, which they depict in, that is that episode of South Park where Cartman keeps Was it Kenny. With hand? Mm, I... I thought that he brought his hand puppet Jennifer Lopez to. Maybe, but it, I know that it's the episode where he keeps Kenny. Isn't he keeps Kenny locked up in a basement because the only way he can go to Kyle's birthday party is if somebody else can't go because there's only four slots and like everybody got invited but Cartman and so Cartman kidnaps Kenny and keep or no Butters he keeps Butters mm-hmm. locked up in a basement thinking that there's like an alien invasion or whatever because he wants to go to Casa Bonita but that is a real place uh I've had people tell me about that this guy says also I go to Chuck E Cheese for the ski ball dude that's totally what we did last night we totally played ski ball oh, by so the way at fun. which I reigned supreme I was the ski ball freaking master last night this is Nobody, nobody could even come close to me at the Chuck E. Cheese ski ball. There's this place on Burnside. It's called the Eastburn, and they have uh, ski ball downstairs. Really? Oh, it's so fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a bar, and so I, I could just play it for hours. Well, it's like Laura and I will go to that Nickelcade on Belmont uh, sometimes. I guess it's not a Nickelcade. That's actually a that Nickelcade is actually the name of a specific chain, but it's a Nickel Arcade on Belmont. I think it's called Wonderland. Um, so we'll go there occasionally to ski ball. Last night, dude, I was in the ski ball zone. I mean, no one could even come close to me. And here's a kind of a great thing. As much as I don't really care for children, um, a kind of a thing you can do when you're an adult is when you play skee-ball, then at the end you got all the redemption tickets, and then you can actually just go find like some – you can just go find some dirtbag child that obviously has – you know, that obviously is never going to be getting those tickets for himself, and you can just kind of give them to the parents and go, look, here, here you go. Buy your kids something shiny. Whenever I think of uh, Chuck E. Cheese, I always think of parenthood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, they're so associated in my mind. Uh, and by the way, it's good to see that in a, in a really in a world that is full of changes and uncertainty, there are some things that remain unaltered, and that is when you go to the Chuck E. Cheese Redemption Center with your tickets, everything is vastly overpriced. Everything. Look, I can get a Miley Cyrus sticker for only 755 ski ball tickets, or whatever the hell it is. So, uh, no, I uh, man, I was king of the ski ball lanes last night. All right, here's Tim Riley. Did you know that getting stressed out will make you itchy? That's the conclusion of the new study that suggests stress may activate immune cells in your skin. You know, Richie seems to be itchy a lot. Timmy hmm. Ryan's really stressed. That's true. He's constantly scratching his junk here in the studio. Well, oh. <laughs> I just lost my place <laughs> with the very thought of that. Uh, those conditions arise when immune cells in the skin overreact to invading bacteria and viruses. Researchers hope the findings will help to determine who's at risk for an outbreak and identify immune cells that can be targeted for intervention. The study is published in the American Journey of Journal of Pathology. It's a good thing Timmy Ryan sits over there. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, yeah, quick comment on Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. That place is hell on earth. I, uh, I, we resolved never to take up. We were there a couple years ago for a birthday party. And that place doubles as a place for... for now, let's, let's hold on. Now, let's, as we move through this, let's keep in mind that we wish to be respectful of local businesses. Oh, sure, sure. No, it's just uh Just judging by... Let me just put this. Let me put it this way. Uh, so I was revealing that Laura and I will sometimes kill entire evenings by driving up and down 82nd or similar streets and just taking in the... It, you know what it is? 
going up and down 82nd for me is like being from France and going on the small world ride at Disneyland. You know what I mean? It's just a tiny way to get a little window to, into home. You know, it's like if you're from Berlin, you can go to Gustav's, get just a tiny little, a tiny little transport back to the to the place of your youth. That's what 82nd is like for both Lara and myself, because she's from this tiny, minuscule, this dirtbag town called Orem in Utah. So it's like traveling back home without actually having to travel back home. But what were you going to say? I was just going to comment on a lot of the clientele there. I think they put the place doubles as like a uh, like a daycare because the exits are well covered and secure. So what they do is they can sit there and have their two-beer limit or one-beer limit that they allow at Chuck E. Cheese. Maybe they finish their can of steel reserve before they get there. Then they turn their kids loose, and I swear to God, I mean, my, my daughter was trying to play a game, and like two or three kids came and shoved her out of the way and took her st- took her tickets and crap. Children can and, be cruel, sir. Yeah, and then, well, yeah, but then the, the parents... The parents for these kids, absolutely nowhere to be found. I'm like, dude, we're never coming back here again. I will say this. They do this great thing at Chuck E. Cheese. When we uh, we walked in last night, they did it, actually even did it to us. When you go into that Chuck E. Cheese, the first thing they do is they get all the people in the party together, and right. they put a stamp on their wrist, and the stamp is different for every party that comes in. So that right. if a kid turns up loose, they can sort of figure out, like, no, you belong with family... 41, family 41. And so they're like, so if a kid ends up just being untethered somewhere, they can sort of match him up with his parents. Security is well run, and I think some people take advantage of that. But uh, anyway, we like Bullwinkles. That's a little bit, a little bit, uh, just as wild, but seems like a little bit, uh, I don't know, better. They are all part of the uh, glorious pageant that is Portland, sir. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. All right, there you go. Uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, yeah, I did my one-year-old party there, and I'm not trying to knock the business. Just like, uh, okay, I, it kind of reminds me of the Rom White joke where I like my dog, but I can't stand yours, you know? <laughs> like, my kids are nice and well-behaved, and then I, all I got is just, like, these little rugrats just running around and, like, I don't know, like, wanting to bite onto my ankles or something. <laughs> <laughs> like zombie children. Um, exactly. <laughs> the thing, you know, I would say this, that going to it, not to just pick on Chuck E. Cheese, but going to any restaurant like that that caters to the, the youth, that is a good way. That is that is a form of sort of a... Uh, birth control? I was going to say kinesthetic birth control. Not even that, but it is basically just birth control. You sort of go there, and you kind of think, all right, this is why I've made the choices in my life that I have. This is why I have opted to be uh, to be without children, because I uh, it, it limits the number of uh, hours that I'm required to spend in any place that caters to kids. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye. All right. That's why whenever I go to Red Robin, even if it's like in the middle of the day, I'm not going to be drinking or anything. Um, yeah. I always sit in the bar. I can't. I cannot be around screaming totally. children running around like the Red Robin balloons and stuff. I will tell you that when um, Joni DeRoshi, when she, her daughter Sydney had her birthday, I don't know, a couple years ago, and they had it at that. Um, what is that place in Beaverton? It's like a Laser Quest kind of a place, but it's not that. It, but it's like one of those laser, laser tag restaurants. But it, you know, it's like a pizza. I guess it's always pizza. It's like a pizza place that then is combined with one of those laser tag mazes. Um, anyway, so I went there, and uh, first of all, I was a hero to the young people because of my skill at that game, because I spent many, 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 I mean, as a grown, as an adult, as like an early 20-something, I spent just probably thousands of hours uh, at one of those places in Utah, because I just, I went, I went through this whole phase. I went through this whole phase where the guy who was doing my morning show and I, that was actually our Saturday night. Like, as grown, single, you know, men in the media in, in Salt Lake City, that's actually where we would spend our Saturday nights. We'd get, all, we'd get all, like, hopped up on Snapple, and we'd go to the laser tag place in Salt Lake City. We'd spend, like, six hours there. Um, 
Because we were retards. Uh, so, but I went there with Joni uh, and her family for Sydney's birthday a couple years ago. And it is, I mean, it's weird because you get to, everybody should do this. If you don't have kids, you should block out like two or three nights a year. You know, like maybe two or three Saturdays over the course of 12 months where you spend a lot of time with some people you know that have kids going out and doing kid-oriented activities. Because it really does, uh, it really does bring a few things into stark relief for you. Uh, let's welcome now, uh, oh wait, who is this? Is this? Is this our good friend Chris, oh, hey, uh, alias Boba Fett? Hello, sir. Yeah, that would be me. Hey, Rick. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Tim. Where are you? Uh, where hey, are I'm, you at uh, right I'm, now? I am right off the coast of Cuba, sitting on a cruise ship. That is fantastic. What is the? Uh, what, what is the? Are you just going on a cruise? <laughs> what is the occasion? Yeah, I'm on vacation with a bunch of friends right now. I'm sitting in the dining hall because I think if I move, I'll lose signal altogether. But yeah. Bunch of us from work from Costco, uh, the best place to hold up in a zombie apocalypse. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, we're we're just decided to take a vacation um, and have to. Oh no, you know what? I can bounce a signal off of Cuba, God willing, and then if I can get to the show because uh, they have an internet cafe, but unfortunately they can't eat the pot. So I've been uh, dying. I haven't heard anything for about a week. Communist jamming. Because <laughs> Raul is busy, uh, busy intercepting his cell phone. So you are off the coast of Cuba. Are you guys? Are you, you guys aren't allowed to go to Cuba? Why are you off the coast of Cuba? Oh no! Oh no! We're on our way back. We were uh, in uh, St. Kitts, St. Martin, and St. Lucia. Uh, so uh, it was all last week. I'm on my way back. Uh, no, Florida was fun. I don't know if you got the picture I sent you. No, no, I did not. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, they had this karaoke bar, and they had the screen where you could put any message you want up on the screen right. for two bucks. And to get it off, you had to pay to get the uh, message off the screen. You had to pay more. So for uh, about eleven bucks, I put up their moving uh, forward. And, oh, and oh. then I no. and then I also did another one for Wait, what uh, did it like this, uh, Oh, Richie! Oh, Richie! We're losing his signal. Okay, well. You know. Thanks, Fidel. I think it was something. I think it was something nice for us. So, maybe. His phone was being jammed by the red menace. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll talk to him when he gets back. But uh, he, I'm going to ask him about Saint Lucia because that is that is uh, one of those places that I've always uh, like Mosquito Coast style. Or you know, someday when you come to when I don't show up for work someday and you go to my house in Southeast Portland and the doors are just wide open and the dirty dishes are still in the sink and there's just a note saying I've gone. Bye. That's where I'm going to go. It's Saint Lucia. I've already uh, Saint Lucia. I've already planned it. So that's your own Don Draper getaway. Exactly. That is someday when I just vanish, uh, like Graham Ingalls, that's where I'm going to be in that island. You'll never find me, but I'll, I'll be there in St. Lucia. That, I'm telling you right now, that is, a, that, is my, uh, that is my private getaway someday when I just choose to, uh, to up and disappear. All right. Let's take a break. Jesus, it's 1235. It is. All right. Take a break. Come back after this. Tim Riley continues at the Ministry of Truth. More observations about the Chuck E. Cheese. Later on, we'll talk to Cena Radio correspondent Jim Roop and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Timo says, Rick, about last night's adventure, which ski ball was this? Did it have the bonus point holes near the top on the side? Yeah, yeah they did. 100,000 points. But you can never hit those. Anyway, this guy, he says, uh, oh, this is Thomas, the tech guy. He says, I love ski ball. Usually play it at Gameworks. They're in the Gameworks around here, is there? Asking exactly the mm. wrong room full of people. What kind of place is that? Uh, Gameworks is like a really elaborate, upscale video game arcade. 
They have one in Seattle, uh, but it's uh, but it's it's insane. I mean, it's not regular video games. They are really big, over the top, elaborate, complex video games. For example, the GameWorks in Seattle. There, I don't know if there still is. There was at least a, at one time a video game where the deal is that you, if I can remember this correctly. You and a, another person stand next to each other, and you strap yourself into these sort of like eight-point vests. And it is a first-person shooting game, but the deal is you strap yourself into the vest, and then there's basically a big sort of mechanism that lifts you up at some points, I think, up to like 30 feet off the ground. And it is it is though you are... You, you, I think the, the 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 shtick is that you are in a helicopter and you're firing into the side of a skyscraper, but you're fastened into this vest and it lifts you up off the ground and you sort of are out moving around outside the skyscraper as though you were flying in a helicopter. It's, pre- it's a whole arcade full of games like that. It's pretty pretty fantastic actually. I think is, is that just Seattle exclusive GameWorks? Um, because I didn't yeah. I thought that was just like a thing they had in Seattle. I don't know. Now, see, now I don't know the answer to that. By the way, I will say one other thing here. We were just talking during the break about, uh, about you know, 82nd and places like that and how there's a certain... I was trying to figure out, you know, I was trying to avoid the word trashy because that, that's not even necessarily it, but there there are places that have that kind of... They have that kind of threadbare appeal. I guess that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm talking about. Uh, you know, things that, do, that, have, that have not been sort of corporatized in a lot of ways. Um, there was, and I could talk about this kind of stuff forever, but one of the things that we have really lost in this country, and this is the last sort of observation I'll make about, about things from this part, things from this strand of the American cultural tapestry. So the last observation I'll make, and then we'll get with more news here. But one of the things we've lost over the last 15 years is the sort of independently run kind of threadbare sort of fringe video store. And those two things just don't really exist anymore. I mean, here in Portland, we have Mike Clark's movie Madness, which is fantastic. But even that, as indie as it is, is not really the same thing. I'm talking about the old video store in your hometown. It was grubby, carpet, I mean, threadbare in the literal sense, carpet worn through, bad, like, sun-bleached, sun-faded posters in the window, the old clamshell plastic VHS boxes that were propped up in the window that, again, had been faded almost to the point of unreadability from the sun, Weird uh, porno section with a beaded curtain over it where, like, mm-hmm. you were never allowed to go. And, I mean, and it was always and appealing for mica on the front counter. Ratty-ass uh, uh, television sitting on a shelf behind the counter with one of the movies playing. And the TV was all, like, effed up and the screen was all bad. And there was some guy missing his teeth behind the counter who, you know, just sat there with, like, a beat-up ballpoint pen. Uh, you know, and you would just go there on Friday, and that's where you'd rent your movies. Dude, I know. I didn't want to go into this, but screw it. Yeah, I just went to the coast this weekend. I did the same thing you did yesterday. Like, I went and stayed at a trap. Like, last night, went to the coast with a friend, and it's just like, you know what? It's late. Why don't we just find the trashiest hotel that we yeah. did? So we actually went and found hotels, but they were just too clean. Where it's like, nope. And we found this one, and the woman literally had four teeth, and the ones that she <laughs> did have were, like, wiggling. You could tell that they were, like, almost falling out. Yeah. And it was, like, $40 to stay there in this room that it was just tiny, you know, with, like, little anchor curtains. And right. threadbare floor, like it was, it was the, the smallest room with the crappiest TV and like the worst video selection, and it was amazing. It was so much fun. There's a certain horrible beauty to those things. There really are. And you know, Jane and Michael Stern have written a whole book about this, the Encyclopedia of Bad Taste, and which came out a long time ago. I think it came out in the uh, late '80s, early '90s, uh, where they talk about a lot of those things. And there is a certain awful charm. Um, years and years ago, it was when I lived in Washington. Um, what the hell, I was even doing. Uh, I think something maybe the girl I was seeing at the time. Well, I mean it was, but I'm trying to remember exactly why we were doing. Anyway, we were we were same thing. We were far away from. We'd gone out of town 
or we'd we'd gone on we'd had to drive really far that day to do something, and we might have had to had we might have had that dropping off furniture or something or visiting somebody. Anyway, we drove I don't know a couple hours outside of town, and we were really really tired. It was really late at night. We're driving our way back. It's like one in the morning. We're both just beat. We're like you know what? Let's not drive all the way back. Let's just let's find some motel and we'll just we'll stay there and we'll head back in the morning. And we ended up we didn't pick it intentionally. We ended up at the worst motel. It was a motel that they were trying to be all sexified because they had theme rooms. But, I mean, the theme rooms had all been put up about 50 years like earlier. Eggs, there was a, that's the room we were in. We were in a You're jungle, in a jungle theme, room. theme room. And, I mean, oh, that's genius. this hotel room, first of all, cigarette burns everywhere. Cigarette burns on the bedspread. Cigarette burns on the bedside table, which was covered with cheap-ass formica. Cigarette burns, um, and you go into the bathroom, and there were cigarette burns where someone had clearly been smoking on the toilet, and then their cigarettes would be falling out of the floor. On the bathtub at the place that I was at, like all these like long, thin brown lines that you could yeah. tell were just from cigarettes set on the bathtub as they were taking a bath, and they slowly just burned their way in. The jungle theme consisted of wallpaper that had been put up, I would guess, 20 years before that was just like of plants. You know, it was like all peeling off. And then there were plastic vines wrapped all around the bed. That sounds like the most amazing hotel room ever. It was so beautiful. Plastic vines that were dusty and like old fake plants get that were wrapped all around the bed. And then in the corner of the room, shoved into the corner of the room, not sunken in, but just like they wheeled it in and stuck it in the corner and plugged it in, was like an old ass jacuzzi that didn't work. Didn't work at all. You'd, you'd turn it on, and it would kind of go, and then, like, no actual bubbles or air would come out. It was just disgusting. We didn't get into it. Uh, but it was so great. I never wanted to leave. Anyway. I oh, that sounds so awesome. I've never stumbled across a hotel with theme dreams. It is so great. And, like, if you looked for it, you'd never find it. It was like it was just there waiting to be discovered. The end. That's the end of this discussion. Here's Tim Riley, appreciator of the finer things in life. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, oh, Tim. No, I, 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 I can go something else. I sometimes can go off of the jags about things. All right. El DeBarge is behind bars again. The singer has been arrested for alleged possession of a controlled substance. LAPD locked DeBarge up earlier this month after discovering two warrants for his arrest. Two it, warrants? Two warrants. Warrants. Okay. Well, he could have had a warrant. DeBarge's legal problems began last year when he was charged with vandalism, drug abuse, and domestic violence. He's currently being held without bail. You know, if I ever become like a swashbuckling uh, south-of-the-border villain, mm-hmm. uh, my overlord of crime name will be El DeBarge. I will be the, the fearsome El DeBarge. The Treasury Department will start doling out $125 billion to nine major banks this week to get credit flowing again, giving a lift to U.S. markets on rising confidence that the government's moves will stave off a protected recession. The government will mark the first deployment of resources from the $700 billion financial rescue package, which was passed by Congress October 3rd. So uh, apparently it's going to the banks to try to keep them going. Brad Manley has been hit hard by crime, unemployment, and the real estate crisis. The Detroit Free Press reports Manny was shot in the hip by a robber Friday night outside a drugstore, carrying $1,700 in cash from his final paycheck. The Detroit man had stopped to buy notebooks for his 12-year-old son. A robber jumped into Manny's car, shot him, and relieved him of the cash from the last paycheck Manny received after being laid off from his job. The maintenance worker is facing a November 1st deadline to vacate the house he rents because his landlord is borrowed in a foreclosure. Wait, but so why did he have $1,700 in cash, though? Now, I guess he cashed his final paycheck. 
and he just didn't want to, he just wanted to have seven. I'm not saying there's well, anything untoward here, but carrying two grand in cash in Detroit. Little, I mean, I mean they have banks in Detroit. Yes. <laughs> I mean, well, carrying two thousand dollars in cash in your pocket around Detroit seems a little suspicious to me. But mm-hmm. that's uh, that's just me saying that. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello, happy Monday to you. Hello, Rick, Sarah, and Tim, and also pleased to be checking out uh, Columbia Boulevard as sort of the White Chapel district of Portland, uh, and also GameWorks in Seattle burned a lot of calories on that. The White Chapel off. district? You mean it's filled with, like, dead hookers? or? Yeah, it's kind of a scary little area up there, okay. uh, a, an interesting fauna, if you will. Um, but yeah, the, also that pneumatic seesaw of a shooting game up there in Seattle burned a lot of calories on that. Yeah. And sorry, I'm kind of all over the place here, but also Sunshine Pizza Exchange spent a lot of time there as a youth, and I even hated it then when my parents would drag me to those pizza places. What is the Sunshine Pizza Exchange? That sounds like a, that sounds like something like a reading rainbow type of program. Yeah, well, it was like back in the 80s, I think it started out, and it was uh, one of those Portland exclusive <laughs> kind of pizza chains. Right. And I think the last one is uh, right over on 224, kind of headed towards Estacada. Is it like it's a Chuck E. Cheese kind of a thing? I was just going to say it was the Chuck E. Cheese of its time, and I just remember going home from there as like a 7th or 8th grader and just putting on a helmet and a bite plate and just crying myself to sleep. But um, going back a couple of weeks to the Henry Rollins show, Henry Rollins made me think of the West Memphis Three, which made me think of you. And I wanted to ask you if you've heard about the third uh, installment of the West Memphis Three movie coming up. And Sarah Dillon, quick question. I'm just getting this out of the way so I can let you guys get back to the show. Sarah Dillon, what is one thing that you saw from a local band that prompted you to go back and see them again? God Almighty. I don't even know what That one first and all of the West Memphis Three. Okay. Um, I don't know. I guess just if... They put on a good show, I guess, stage presence and if... Are you looking for a specific I, yeah, example, I don't, I don't sir? Really... Yeah, maybe like one, like, caveat that they got up and they did that wasn't All right, so is there a band that you weren't previously familiar with, sir? You saw them and you're like, i got to see these guys again. Mm, oh, well, that happens a lot. I mean, it just it just random. It just depends on, I don't know, the stage presence, how they work the crowd, what maybe. songs they pick to play. Yeah, we're... Sorry, we're no, I, sorry, I, wish I, could, we're I no. wish I could be more specific. We're, we're choking here, sir. Sorry about I'm that. I'm totally choking. Well, no, I was going to say maybe let me clarify by saying was it is it more of a gimmick or is it more talent that prompts you to go back and see something? Talent. Again? Definitely talent. She's all about the okay. music, sir. All right, uh, West Memphis 3, I will say uh, all I know, maybe there's been more information of this, um, but Joe Berlinger and Bruce Danofsky, who made Paradise Lost and Paradise Lost 2, as well as the Metallica documentary, Some Kind of Monster, have announced that they're going to do Paradise Lost 3, which is their sort of like last-ditch all-out, full, you know, uh, no-breaks effort to try to get the West Memphis 3 released. Uh, I haven't heard about a release date, but I know it's in the works. Cool. Thank you uh, so much, guys. Thank you. All right. Wow, that was like uh, 10 pounds worth of call there. Here's Tim Riley. Well, those opting to stay at home on Halloween could spend the evening with Alice Cooper. The veteran shock rocker has been tapped to host a special All Hallows' Eve Monsters Marathon on Cable's WGN. The eight-and-a-half-hour broadcast will include 16 episodes of the classic 60s sitcom, beginning with the first Munsters ever produced. The night will be capped off with the special Alice Cooper's Along Came a Spider, a 30-minute show offering a behind-the-scenes look at the making of Cooper's latest CD and include videos from the album. This is on WGN. WGN. Out of Chicago. Which is Channel 8. Uh, oh, 9. Yeah, nine. unfortunately, well, first off, I'm not much of a Munsters fan. We've talked about this before. I'm more of an Adams Family guy. Mm-hmm. I think that Adams Family and Munsters, that is sort of like the Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune of the morbid sitcom world. One is either an Adams Family fan and one is a Munsters fan. Sarah? Adams Family. Tim? 
Munsters. Really? Yeah. Okay, that surprises me. Why? That series scared me as a child. But the Adams Family didn't? No, no, Adams Family scared me as a child. Oh, oh, that's why you're a Munsters fan, because the Adams Family was too too unnerving for you. Yes. All right. I mean, that black and white on a big TV, seeing it as a child, yeah. was much scarier than the Munsters, which you knew was a comedy. I haven't actually gone back and seen the Adams Family, the sitcom, for a long time. I wonder if it still is... It still holds up. Actually, my friend uh, Lisa, her step... Uh, son Lincoln is watching it, and he's four, and he's been of watching. Of course, he is. that's so perfect. I can, mm-hmm. um, but it, because the Adams Family, in, in my memory at least, again, the Munsters very broad, a very broad sitcom. When I think back on the Adams Family, it seems like they were playing it much more straight. They really yeah. did have that morbid vibe going on. Um, I remember that Wednesday Adams walking around with that headless doll of hers. Mm. That was a little freaky. So, no, it, it was very scary watching it on a big black and white TV in the late '60s in reruns. Yeah. Because color TV was just starting to... Well, most shows were colored by the late 60s. But watching that show in black and white was really frightening. Was the Adams Family ever broadcasting color? No. It was always a black and white always show. Always black and white. Good. I mean, you know, don't you agree that if they if they ever, and it's inevitable that they will, if they bring back the Adams Family show someday and make new, a new Adams Family, they'd have to do it in black and white. Mm-hmm. You can't have an Adams Family in color. I know that everybody watched the Adams Family movie, but even that, I felt like... In color, you really do lose something there. I don't know why. The Adams Family, because it is, well, largely because they're based on a black and white comic, you know, a cartoon mm-hmm. in The New Yorker. But the Adams Family just seems like a thing that ought to be in black and white. Um, so, yeah. all right. I will say that as much as I prefer the Adams Family sitcom to the movies, really, you you got to give it up to Raul, Raul Julia uh, as Gomez Adams, who really was, I'm not going to say he was better than John Aston, but he was damn good. I mean, really, Raul Julia may, may in fact have been the best Gomez Adams. I, I hate to say that with John Aston still alive, but anyway, that was exceptional. Um, but So I'm not much of a Munsters fan, and unfortunately, and it pains me to say this, that new Alice Cooper album is just terrible. It's just bad. It's bad. And I don't like saying that on KCMD Portland, but I can't. Uh, it's a lily you can't gild, Alice. I'm sorry. Here's Tim Riley. So I'll pick up a conversation we had earlier. The last brand new episode of season two of Mad Men <laughs> was presented last night. Yeah. Now, Don Draper Mania is currently sweeping the nation. And this studio. And this studio. And he appeared on Saturday Night Live over the weekend. Now, if my punt is up, we are going to play one of the bits, which is entitled Don Draper's Guide to Picking Up Women. Don Draper's Guide to Picking Up Women. Hello, I'm Don Draper, and I've been fortunate enough to have affairs with many women. Some say, boy, Don, how do you do it? Well, it's simple. And you can do it, too, if you follow my four easy steps. Step one, when in doubt, remain absolutely silent. Hi, I'm Jessica. It's just him staring at her. A little shy, aren't we? Wow. Marry me, I want to have your children. (laughs) See? Step two, when asked about your past, give vague, open-ended answers. So, Don, tell me about your family. Any brothers and sisters? There was a man with bright, shining shoes. I saw him dancing until the accident. How mysterious. Step three. Have a great name. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nathaniel Snurpus. Well, hello. Don Draper. 
Let's get me out of this skirt. I've always said four. Look fantastic in a suit. Look fantastic in casual wear. Look fantastic in anything. Sound good. Smell good. Kiss good. Strut around with supreme confidence. Be uncannily successful at your job. Blow people away every time you say anything. Take six-hour lunches. Disappear for weeks at a time. Lie to everyone about everything. And drink and smoke. Constantly. Basically, be Don Draper. This has been Don Draper's so that's, uh, if you want to see it, it's posted on my website. You can, uh, you can see that at RileyLive.com, along with the best picture of Don Draper. Really the best picture of anybody that's ever been taken. Oh, he is just such a beautiful person. He really is. He really is. And see, the, here's the thing. I'm so envious of you that you're just starting Mad Men. You got... I know. You know I know that I'm lucky. Like, I, as I was watching 25 that first, episodes. As I was watching that first episode, I, I knew that I was oh. watching something magical. Yeah, he, uh, he really is, uh, he really is quite something. Um... And really, can I just say this? The thing about Don Draper is, first of all, you know, you know, chick, chicks dig him, guys want to be him, you know, whatever. The other great thing, and this is not much of a spoiler, but obviously, you know, over the course of the two seasons, Don uh, Draper and Peggy, you know, they do, I think they become very close. I think we, we could say that. They obviously have, he is very much her, um, he's taken her under, under his wing, you know. He is sort of her rabbi in the business, as they say. So... And Peggy obviously is very grateful for the fact that Don has given her a lot of opportunities in that office over the course of the first and especially the second season. And I think I speak for all guys when I say this, and I and I and I, I know this will sound creepy, so there's just no there's no way I can not make this sound creepy. The thing about Don Draper and his relationship with Peggy is that every guy wants a woman to look at him the way that Peggy looks at Don Draper. I mean that's that's just it. There's just you can't put a finer point on it than that. Every guy wants to be looked at by a woman the way she looks at him. Because, I mean, it's just that, and it's that weird mix of she loves him but kind of fears him and respects him and is attracted to him and, you know, enjoys the, relishes the fact that he has given her a degree of autonomy but at the same time would obviously just take a bullet for him if she had to. Uh, and that is just the greatest mixture ever. And that's, I think, that's how every guy wants to be looked at by, by a woman. Um, which leads me to this, Tim. Did you read that article in the in the New York Times magazine called "The Making and Remaking of John McCain"? No, I have not. Is it this past Sunday? Uh it was. Uh, no, uh, it would have been two Sundays ago, I think. I probably uh, have it still around somewhere. It is an article in the New York Times magazine called "The Making and Remaking of John McCain," and I got to tell you, I know I'm jumping way ahead here. Um, are we still in Mad Men talk right now? No, we're done. Okay, then I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but I guess it can be forgiven. There's a great article about John McCain and his campaign from inception to now. And they really, they talk about John McCain's relationship with Sarah Palin in a way that I hadn't really considered. And they talk about Sarah Palin and they, they don't flat out come out and say that John McCain has a thing for her. And they certainly don't imply, and I mean this seriously, they don't imply that there's any, real, you know, there's any going on between them. I mean, I, I, we all know that's not true. But they, so they don't, they don't just come out and say that John McCain has a crush on Sarah Palin, but they put it in a way that I hadn't really considered. This guy speculates that at least part of the reason that John McCain picked Sarah Palin and the reason that their bond does seem very, very close, even now that she's become a drag on the ticket, you see that McCain won't say anything about her. Even as she's become a big disadvantage to the Republicans, McCain continues to really, really be her biggest supporter. 
they note that Sarah Palin's dynamic with John McCain is like Peggy's dynamic with Don Draper. You know, John McCain, is, look, he's a 72-year-old man, maybe past his prime in some ways. But here he's got this young, vibrant, attractive woman who is out there in, in, in front of an audience of 20, 30, 50,000 people, all but saying that he is the greatest man who's ever lived. I mean, there's got to be something to that. If you're, you know, you're... That's genius. This article made that assessment? Yeah. They said, you know, if you're an old guy, you get some hot young girl out there who is on television and saying, John McCain is the single greatest man who could lead this country. John McCain is a hero. He is, you know, he is... Moti- he is the, the one thing that can fix this country is John McCain. He is the solution to everything. And there's got to be a certain appeal to having a young, attractive woman out there who is basically telling the entire world and everybody who will listen that you are the, the second coming and that you are the only thing that can save That's America. That's true. She does project it like that he's a godlike, basically. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain... I mean, I think it would take a strong man to, be, to, to resist that. I think that has got to be seductive in a way that I can't even imagine. So... Anyway, we're thinking. And she's about looking it. up, pointing toward the sky. Yeah, I mean, and like a floating head of John McCain is up there. Right, and I mean, and they do have, and I and I don't mean this in a creepy way, but I mean they do have that weird. She's obviously very attractive, and she has a certain sexual energy to her. But obviously, do, but don't you think they also have this weird father-daughter thing? Mm-hmm. And then again, and I don't mean this in any untoward sense, but I think that can get a little weird that energy can be strange when it is an older man and a younger woman who are relating in some professional capacity but there is such an age difference that whatever energy or chemistry might be there is also then gets filtered through that weird father-daughter dynamic and i think that can be really powerful to an older man and i think that that is a lot i hadn't really thought about it until the guy in new york times put it that way and i think there's probably something to that that the idea that he can get this like hot, you know, younger woman to go out there and just tell, you know, get on television in front of 10 million people and say that he is like a living deity, you know, that's got to be pretty powerful if you're him. All right, here's Tim Riley. We'll get back to politics in just a minute, but first, the FBI has now confirmed that the dead body discovered in the missing white SUV today is indeed that of Jennifer Hudson's seven-year-old uh, nephew, Julian. Uh, uh. Back to election coverage. The top Alaska newspaper has endorsed Barack Obama. Alaska's largest circulation paper, the Anchorage Daily News, said Governor Sarah Palin was too risky to be one step away from the presidency. And an editorial had said her nomination captivated Alaskans, but must not overwhelm all other judgments. The focus should be on John McCann, it said, calling him the wrong choice. The newspaper said many Alaskans are proud to see their governor and their state so prominent on the national stage. It also described Mrs. Palin as a force to be reckoned with, passionate, charismatic, indeflatable. Oh, I was thinking of something else that Richie brought in here. Uh, un- Indefatigable? I believe so, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Not what- This doll is very much inflatable uh-huh. in here. Uh, she draws a huge crowd and sows excitement in her wake. However... It says that Republican presidential candidate John McCain it has stumbled and fumbled badly in dealing with economic crises. Well, I think they would. Don't you agree that this, the Palin pick would have, would have been a lot smarter? I mean, I, I guess he couldn't have seen it coming. But were it not for the economy, I think John McCain and Sarah Palin might be cleaning house right now. That's just my assessment. Mm-hmm. I think if it wasn't for the economy, 
imploding. I think they'd be they would be dead even or probably ahead by five or six points. That's my read on it. But this, the you know the economy uh, cratered at just the wrong time for that guy, and it really I think just laid bare the, the revelation that Sarah Palin doesn't uh, really I mean just got the, just got the brain of an egg timer. So now it's time to meet Sarah Palin's new friends. It's not Joe the plumber this time. It's time to introduce you to Tito the builder. Tito wants to know, and I quote, he asked, he says, why the heck are you going after Joe the plumber? Joe the plumber has an idea. He has a future. He wants to be something else. Why is that so wrong? Wait, so Tito Tito does what? Uh, Tito is a builder. His real name is Tito Munoz. I'm very proud to be here today. I'm proud to be an American citizen. A hard worker. A McCain Palin supporter. So he is standing beside Palin with a hard hat and construction gear on. Okay. Well, so Joe the plumber is busy. Well, well, I'll tell you why in a few minutes. But I mean, is this the thing? Are they trying to get? Are they trying to get sort of like one? His name is Blank the Blanker from like every field and across every demographic. Right. It's it's like introducing one member of the village people at every stop. <laughs> Next will be Melvin the accountant. Mm-hmm. So uh, Sarah Palin vows to clean up Wall Street. And uh, Jacob Washington, campaigning in Northern Virginia, Palin said Democratic presidential nominee uh, Barack Obama has an ideological commitment to higher taxes, and she praised supporters for chanting, "Use your brain, vote McCain." I think people really? are excited to go, even no matter what candidate they're for, because it's a chance to see who could be the next president or vice president. Use your brain, vote McCain. Mm-hmm. That's an ill-advised slogan, Tim. It is. John McCain is not paying any attention to public opinion polls in an interview with Meet the Press. The Republican presidential nominee said he believes the race will be tight on November 4th and predicted a very late night for Americans. She and her family were thrust into this, and there was some... And <coughs> wrong. Some third of that money is given back. The rest will be donated to charity. That's the wrong side. That's entirely inaccurate. Just a minute. I think he's talking about her clothing there. I believe so. Yeah, all right. So anyway, it'll be a very exciting night, and we hope everybody joins us because it's going to be one of those evenings of American history that you'll remember years from now where you were. And you should be with us. You are correct, Tim. Uh, So don't forget, Tuesday, November 4th, that is next Tuesday, November 4th, 7 p.m., the Rick Emerson Show's political party happening at uh, Grand Central Bowl. Restaurant and Lounge on 8th and Morrison in Southeast Portland, along with our partners, uh, the Willamette Week and the Oregon Bus Project, and our proud sponsors, Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing, Taboo Adult Video. That is next Tuesday, 7 p.m., featuring live broadcast and update throughout the night by Tim Riley, news director, uh, as well as uh, I'll be doing a, probably a little commentary there and probably guests throughout the night. And Tim Riley going to be broadcasting live on the CNN Radio Network across America at a few points throughout the evening. So come by. And we were, can I just say that we were there on Friday? We did a little walkthrough yes. at, the, at the place. It's going to be, it's going to be a swinging night. It really is. It's going to be pretty great. And I will tell you, people have asked what's going to be going on. It's going to be less, I think, less planned out and structured than some of our listener parties That's correct. are. Because it'll just be like hanging out and wandering around, right? Very much so. Because I, you know, the listener party, especially the last one, was great, but it was, it was so packed with stuff, mm-hmm. so many things happening that we didn't really get a chance just to kind of hang out. I know there's a lot of people who went through the, you know, the last listener party as great as it was and it was the best one we've ever had. Um, 
Just we, we don't know what the specific comment is going to be Well, when we take our breaks for the most part. Exactly. We're going to be playing it by ear. And we also don't have a lot of scheduled events for this uh, political party, which means that we'll kind of be able to sort of meet people and hang out and sort of talk to listeners, which we didn't really get a chance to do with the last one. But it, it is an interesting night. I mean, it could be wrapped up at 930. It could go till midnight. I mean, really, there's no way to know. Uh, so that is next Tuesday, November 4th. And you are right when you say that people will remember... Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter which way the election goes in terms of history making, right? Right. I mean, look, you're either going to get a woman as vice president uh, or Barack Obama as president. Groundbreaking either way. Um, you know, and it's it's certainly going to be, I mean, it is a contentious election, to say the least. Yes. So, you know, it's, uh, it's I'm, I mean, I, it's hard to believe, though, that it's going to be over in eight days because it just seems like it's been going on forever. It just seems like it's been an eternity that this thing has been rolling. So, right, here's Tim Riley. What's Carl Rove up to, you ask? Well, he says John McCain has a, quote, steep hill decline before the November 4th election. Well, he better hurry if that's the case. Carl Rove tells Fox News Sunday the White House hopeful must win in all the toss-up states to have a chance of winning the 2008 presidential election. Then he needs to strip away Ohio and Indiana with 31 electoral votes to get him to 252. And then he needs to either win Colorado and Virginia, which gets him to 274, or win one of them plus Pennsylvania, which would get him to 282 or 286. And it won't be easy. In order for McCain to win, he's got a very steep hill to climb. He's got to win all of the toss-up states, 64 electoral votes. You know, he's really got to, as they say, run the table on election night. You watch John King and his uh, magic electoral map, which I love. By the way, we may or may not be angling for this. We might be talking to John King on this program on Thursday, I believe. Uh, so, uh, so be listening for details on that. But, but, I mean, McCain really can't lose anything. I mean, he's got to win everything that he's expected to win. Mm-hmm. In other words, all of the states that they're projecting will go red. He's got to keep all those. He can't lose any of them. And then he's got to win, like, every single toss-up state that there is. Uh, and then he's still got to win. He's still got to take something out of Barack's win column. Like, you know, like, it's no longer just about winning Florida at this point. Like, he's got to win everything. Which is not, like, it's not impossible. Uh, you know, even, I mean, some of the polls have... Obama up by eight, nine. If you figure there's a margin of error, that puts it maybe within five. Five percent is not a lot, especially when you consider Barack Obama. So much of that guy's strength is coming from the under 25 vote. And those are folks who typically just don't go to the polls on election day. So I'll be curious to see how it works out. I hope someday that CNN makes the magic map a game. A separate one for adults and a magic map for kids. You mean like a home version yeah. of that? Well, you know, probably it's it's only a matter of time until with computer touchscreens they have like your own personal magic map at home that you can do. That'll be fun. Yeah. The White House is not commenting on reports that U.S. forces cross the Iraq border to attract, uh, attack Syria. In her daily news briefing, now presidential spokeswoman Dana Perino resisted several attempts to get her to comment on it. I'm not going to comment on it at all. This could be a really short briefing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know why they have these every day anymore. I don't know. And, you know, it's funny that I thought that she had retired. Because because when is the last time you had a presidential, like a press secretary, briefing about anything? No. They just don't. I mean, what is there to report? Uh, George W. Bush is in his office practicing for the Duncan Yoga, Yoga Championship. You know, I mean, that's it. He's not really doing anything. No. So I figured that she had just moved on. But I guess maybe they bring her back every now and again. She's a temp at this point. Uh, let's see. We've got the... Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah. Hello. You were talking about... Uh, <laughs> were you just blowing your nose? No, I'm sorry. I was eating. <laughs> I what are you eating, sir? Oh, I'm eating a burrito right now. What I'm kind of burrito, sir? It's chicken. Uh, is it homemade or from a store? It's from a store. Uh, you mean a store or a restaurant? Uh, it's actually a restaurant. Is it tasty? Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> right. What have you got to share with us, sir? Okay, well, you were talking about that 
there's not any sleazy like movie store video type businesses left well, in all Portland. Well, there is one. Well, let's 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 walk carefully here. Let's not identify a business by name as being sleazy. Okay. So let's let's not do that. Um, you, how about this? Okay. If you would like to describe a specific business as being sleazy, please oh. don't use the name or, or tell us uh, where it's it location. is. Yeah, just 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 say, talk about it in generalities, please. Okay. Well, it's it's a building and. It's an adult theater, and it's really run down, but at no. one time, it was a beautiful business that showed real movies. All right, then. And yeah. you're saying now it has a delightful air of sleaze about it. Oh, yeah. There's remnants of when it was a vaudeville house left to it, and there's remnants of when they showed Deep Throat the premiere there, and it was a packed house. And now it's completely run down with the 70s carpet. Yeah, see, there's something there. I mean, it's all dusty and it's creepy. I suppose you're grading on a curve if it's like a porno house, but I mean, it's. The, I am always fascinated by places that were live theaters at one point, that were vaudeville, that did have live cabaret or something, uh, and that they've never really gotten rid of the remnants of that. That is a sort of beautiful thing in a, in a horrible way, yeah. Yeah, it's like a sleaze hole of Oregon a history. Sleaze it's hole. Got, it's got Shut the, your sleaze hole, woman. <laughs> it's got like. The seats from the 1920s in there, they're like beautiful wooden seats still, and they're all gross. But, I mean, you can see the remnants of what at one time was a thriving, beautiful place. I like things that are all gross. Yeah. Uh, and I would, yeah. I'll let you return to your burrito, sir. Okay, thanks. Bye. All right, thank you. All right, there you go. Sleaze hole. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, this is Jeremy. I'm listening to you out in Hillsborough. Painting my cupboards right now. Excellent. Now, when you say painting your cupboards, painting or staining? Uh, painting. Painting. Right. I'm, I'm actually, I just recently bought a place out in Hillsborough, right in Gangland, turns out. But, but you're uh, uh, you're making the best of it by giving it a good revamping. Yes, I All am. Right. Excellent. Absolutely, sir. How can I help you on this well, Monday? Oh, well, two two things. You were talking about sleazy hotel rooms. Yes. And, you know, I'm not a high-class guy, so I've stayed in a number of them. Uh-huh. And so I've, I've, I've got a number of stories about that, but I've I've stayed in them in Oakland, Mexico, and um, Reno. And all of them were scary, and all of them, you know, I would say in, involved a sort of level of terror that might be even life-threatening. Well, there are. I mean, everybody at some point or another has been really, you know, you, either you need to pull over and sleep somewhere and you can't find any place better, or you've just been dirt broke but you need a motel. Everybody has been in that motel where you swear to God you can hear someone uh, being beaten to death over a gambling debt in the next room. I mean, we've all stayed yeah. at places like that, yeah. Yeah, it, well, yeah, kind of, kind, of, kind of like that. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm also really, really cheap, so... You know, if, if if there's even if I can afford it, you know, I automatically go for the lowest, sleaziest motel. That is the American way, sir. But I was on my way to uh, Burning Man one year, and it was in '97, and I I, I have a, had a '75 Plymouth Scamp, and it's got like this great big uh-huh. mural of a, of a skull painted on the front, and Jesus with a shotgun painted on the back, and no surprise, I get pulled over, uh-huh. and. Uh, they searched the car, which was loaded full of drugs. They have us out on the sidewalk. There's like three cop cars out there. They're searching the whole thing. They're dumping out every single bag they come across. They finally come to the last bag, and it has tons of stuff in it, tons of stuff in it. And I'm like, no, no, this can't be. And they 
search the middle. It's like one of those old duffel bags. Uh huh. Like a middle a middle bag, and then like uh, two cir- circular bags on the side. Yes. And they search the middle bag, and they search one of the bags on the side, which the middle bag had clothes, the far bag had, like, lighters and stuff in it, and then the other bag had, like, a bunch of mushrooms and coke and weed and everything in it. And they'd they'd had us on the side of the road for, like, 45 minutes. And the cop who was doing the searching got frustrated at that point, and he throws down the bag in disgust right before he... He so he didn't find the he didn't find the compartment with the with the mushrooms and coke. Were no, you were you no. taking these to use or to sell, sir? Uh, to use. Okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> oh, that's right. You can't sell things oh, at yeah. Burning Man. You're not allowed. All right. No, you can, but it's frowned upon. All right then. Well, we're gonna yes, we're gonna have to sort of move on here, sir. Is there a is there a climax to this story or is that it? Oh yes. Um. Anyway, I get to the hotel room. Which we stopped the first hotel we could find. Of course. Because I was too scared to drive. Because the cop told me, he's like, he's like, you guys need to get out of Reno. He's like, we don't like you. <laughs> Take your and drugs and lamb it. Like an old Western movie. Yes. It was scary. And so I decided we need to get out. In fact, I wouldn't even drive. My friend had to drive. And um, there's <laughs> half an hour after we get to the hotel room, which is so sleazy, we're the only ones staying in there from out of town. Everybody else. <laughs> Everybody else just like, lives there. Lives there, yes, literally, and I think they are all on meth. And we're there for like half an hour, and there's a bathroom with the word "shower" written on the door <laughs> in front of the bathroom. And like I've I've been in the shower, and I'm I'm smoking a bowl, I'm like shaking, and there's this bang, bang, bang on the front door, and I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> I'm trying to hide everything in the bathroom, and my friend goes and answers the door, and it's these two girls who live there in the hotel, and they're both, like, 17 and hot. And they're like, uh, do you guys own that car that's outside? My friend's like, yeah. He's uh, <laughs> the redhead there. And I'm like, I'm like, come out of the bathroom all swaggering. I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm right here. All right, you know yeah. we're gonna have to, we're we have to move on at this point. This I can see that this story has no end to it, but uh, but I do appreciate no, you. Does. I do well. We have to move on at this juncture, but I appreciate the comedy you've already given us. Maybe we can get the second half of the story another time. That's Jeremy painting his covers. All right, thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Attention, advertisers. <laughs> Can see a new, no, I, I can see a new one sheet in the sales office. Seriously, as he's, do, I mean, really, within about three minutes, there we got on his way to Burning Man, and a big, and a big trunk full of drugs, and a bag full of mushrooms and cocaine, and he's in a dirt bag motel, and there's two 17-year-old girls at the door. And I thought, you know, this is a good time to end the story for now. Maybe we'll have the, uh, the exciting conclusion of that another time. Here's Tim Riley. Good God. And this uh, little breaking story. I just have the headline so far. The ATF says it has disrupted a skinhead plot. In in uh, let's see Tennessee and Arkansas to assassinate Obama. So we'll hear more on that. A record crowd turned out to see Barack Obama at his campaign stop in Denver yesterday. Over 100,000 supporters turned out. Let's see if I have the sound here. Well, in, in Denver, it's always uh, always a wow. Uh, there's something about Denver we just love coming here. That's Obama somewhere. <laughs> Are you looking for audio? That. No, I'm looking for another story that I had here a minute right. ago. Well, you know, while you're looking for something oh. else, let me say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was watching CNN this weekend. First of all, did anybody watch that D.L. Hughley show? 
No. You said Dio, it was terrible. It was not very good. Dio Hughley breaks the news. Is that the one that's filmed next to Bob Costantini or something? Steve Castanon. Hughley's in the, in, the, in the room next to him. And let me say first and foremost, by way of a preamble, I really dig Dio Hughley. He's funny. He's a really, truly funny guy. Uh, and he's been on, you know, when he's on Bill Maher, Larry King, he's hilarious. So the problem isn't him. It's just the format. Uh, it is this sort of weird SNL meets David Letterman kind of thing. They're trying not to do The Daily Show. But, you know, really, I mean, The Daily Show is kind of the best thing going out there, so I don't know why you wouldn't just steal that if you're going to steal something. So it's like half late-night talk show, half sketch comedy, and it's kind of all bad. The only good stuff was when he does interviews. He had Ali Velshi on, and he talked to him, and that was great. He, he, he seemed very nervous, didn't seem like he really was comfortable with the format. It was overly structured. And you got a guy who's a, a talented comic, you know, talented improv guy. I don't know why you would take it. This is what they always do with comedians. They get comedians who are very funny, very quick, very fast on their feet, but then they stick them in some overly structured, overly scripted thing. Margaret Cho. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly the right reference, Tim. That requires them to work off script or off teleprompter, and it just never works because you lose all the spontaneity. That was the problem with Margaret Cho, who is, I know that she can be a little bit of a divisive figure, and a lot of people don't like her, but Margaret Cho's really funny. This, I mean, that's, uh, you know, she does seem to rub a lot of people the wrong way. And I don't really know why that is. But Margaret's show is hilarious. That show they put her in, though, that All-American Girl, is like the worst thing that's ever been on television. Okay. I mean, it's unbelievably bad. Um, same thing with Neil Hughley, though. So I hope the show gets better. It, it wasn't very good. But so I was watching CNN this weekend waiting for the Hughley show to come on. They were talking about that Ashley Todd, who we've already forgotten about. She's the McCain worker that oh, with yeah. the fake carving and the beat down and the black eye. Well, that was a Friday story. Two days have passed. Okay, but here's the thing about that. You know, they, I saw her doing the little the perp walk or whatever they call it, where the cops were taking her like from the car to the courthouse or the courthouse to the whatever the arraignment. So I saw the cops walking her out in handcuffs. First of all, she's nuts. You can tell. She's almost the kind that is, she probably shouldn't even go to jail. You can tell she's crazy. I mean, she seems full-on disturbed. Did you watch that instructional video with her with the poster making? Yeah. Oh, yeah, my God. You can just tell she's crazy. There's well, nothing behind her eyes. She's bonkers. Well, yeah. just send her back to Texas. That's normal behavior there. Send her back to live at Andrea Yates. Um, so, yeah, she's obviously nuts. But here's what nobody, okay, nobody has pointed this out. They're talking about how the B was backward. That was what, Thursday night, yeah. Friday? Okay, on Friday night, I saw her being walked out in handcuffs. This is a replay, but it was so Friday night, and then they showed it on Saturday. They were showing her being walked out in handcuffs, her face completely without a black eye or any marking. I mean, uh, did she uh, did she draw that thing on? Did she draw on the black eye? Because when the cops were handcuffing her, she had no black eye, no bruises, and no bee on her face at all. And so my question is, did she, in fact, just draw on all of those beat-down marks? And if so, how did the cops even know that this happened? In other words, did she turn herself into the cops? Did you, when this happened, when this alleged beating happened, did she call 911? Did she... I think that's what happened. I think it was a 911 call. I'm telling you... I think we played a part of that. Maybe, but i got to tell you, it looks for all the world like she just drew those things on. Mm -hmm. Because when the cops were handcuffing her and taking her to the squad car on Friday night... She had no marks on her face whatsoever. And that indicates to me that she had just done it all with makeup, which makes you wonder why it wasn't discovered before this. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Speaking of attention whores, Joe the Plumber may run for Congress. Of course. They actually brought him on Fox News. 
and he says he's thinking about entering the race. That's well, something I'm going to think about and uh, you know make a decision. That just came up yesterday. I don't have a yes or no question. Somebody's got to really think about. He doesn't that have a yes or no question. Serve the people. You're not serving yourself by doing that. You're serving the people, and I believe that wholeheartedly. <laughs> Ain't that America? I love this country. I told Lara that on Saturday. She was a. Uh, she said, why aren't we talking about this Ashley Todd thing anymore? She noticed it had fallen on the news cycle. And I said, because it's been knocked out by something else, Joe the Plumber running for Congress. And she thought I was screwing with her. She goes, she goes, yeah, that's funny. And I said, no, 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 really. He's going to run for Congress. And she just kind of slammed down her glass of wine. She's like, are you effing with me? And I said, no. And she did that. I could see in her head after I told Lara that Joe the Plumber was going to run for Congress. I could see in her head she was at that crossroads mentally of... Do I laugh or do I become furious? And she finally just laughed. And she goes, hey, screw it. Why not? It is America. It's like, Mr. The Plumber goes to Washington. Exactly. Here's something I don't have time to do, and maybe it's already been done. Somebody really ought to set up an fjoetheplumber.com. That'd be great. I, I would do it right now if I had time. We should see if it's taken. Sarah, see if F Joe the Plumber is taken. I'm checking it. But not F. I mean, I, I guess you get a, a safer work one and a non-safer work one. Oh, well, that CBS isn't letting me access it, so I don't know. Really? Yeah. All right. I bet that's already taken. If not, somebody should do that. Somebody should do an fjoetheplumber.com. I would buy your swag. Here's Tim Riley. Donald and Goofy are sharing their costume plans for Halloween this Friday. I'm going to wear pants. Yeah, he's going to wear pants, and I'm going to go as Donald. <laughs> Maybe I should go as Mickey. I haven't gone as Mickey before. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Why do you love Halloween? I love Halloween because you get to dress up all neat and everything, and you can be scary or happy or funny, and you go knock on doorbells, and they'll give you something to eat sometime. Knock on doorbells? I'm waiting outside your window with a bone saw and some duct tape. Jesus. Yeah, out of context, he sounds really creepy. It's hard to believe other countries don't take well, it seriously. Joe the Plumber discusses his Halloween plan. <laughs> Hell, uh, yeah, I uh, build a rocket ship, you know, go up there that there planet Mars, so... All right. Let's take a break, shall we? We come back. More news from Tim Riley. Uh, let's see. What else? We haven't gotten to with a clown watch today, snuff watch, penis watch. We really should talk more about Mad Men from last night. We have to yeah. do a full recap on Mad Men. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Jim Roop coming up later on and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503. I suck. I'm out of breath because I had to go up 10 stairs and back down 10 if stairs. If it's any consolation, I am too. <laughs> All right, I feel better then. Yeah, Richie was just going to the plaid pantry and I had to catch it because I realized that um, I wasn't able to park in the back parking lot this morning. It was already, even by the time I got here, it was already packed. So I ran a little late today, so um, I got, so I had to park like down the street in the parking meters and I just realized that my parking meter expired about 25 minutes ago. So I sent Richie over to it to feed the meter. Because he's helpful. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop. Uh, Rick, we have many good memories of Chuck E. Cheese in our family. We had a daughter who is now eight. She was three years old when we first went to Chuck E. Cheese. The giant talking mouse scared her to death. She cried with, she, she cried and, began, um, and ran and sought refuge in that toddler habit trail type contraption they have running through the place. You know, I have to say this. I forgot about this until I got this email. So last night, Laura and I were at Chuck E. Cheese, and we're playing skee-ball. And while she, you know, we're alternating on the same lane. And while it's her turn, I look around, and, like, the guy in the big, full-on, like, Chuck E. Cheese mascot suit comes up behind us. 
And it was kind of unnerving. I mean, it was sort of creepy. I turned around. Oh, a giant man-sized mouse is totally creepy. Yeah, and he's like, give me the finger. He's like, pointing at me like, hey. And uh, we sort of weirded out, so immediately I had to pass the terror along to Lara. So I got on the show, and I go, hey, look. And she turns around, and there's the huge mouse. And she kind of did the whole, like, ah, it's sort of a thing. And we were trying to figure out if the giant mouse in the mascot suit, or man in the, in the mouse mascot suit, if that is more terrifying when you're an adult or a child. And I think it's probably more terrifying as an adult. Because when you're a kid, you sort of accept the fantastical. As an adult, you don't really expect giant man-sized animals to be walking around on their hind legs. Just, no, I mean, rodents loving children is strictly an American phenomenon. It really is. It's uh, what makes us a great country, Tim. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Hello. Hello. Breaking news. A plot by skinheads to kill Obama has been foiled. This happened in uh, Tennessee, of course, and Arkansas. They wanted to rob a gun store and then target an unnamed but predominantly African-American high school and then work their way up the feeding chain and eventually kill Obama. So they've been found. Our second biggest story, Madonna is in full meltdown mode. Fantastic. On the heels of a British report that Madonna has asked her assistant to gather all the items she received from Guy Ritchie so she can bury them. <laughs> a source close to Madonna said, the friends are worried Madonna is in full meltdown mode. Hopefully she gets her act together. I paid a lot of money for tickets in about two weeks from now. Hey, in you Vegas. don't have some cancellation due to illness. Mm -hmm. uh. In recent years, she's really relied on her Kabbalah advisors. But more for big decisions, she's barely functioning. It seems, I mean, I have to say in a weird way, I uh, that surprises me. I, I hate to say this because you know I love Madonna. Mm -hmm. I kind of think less of her because it doesn't seem like I didn't think she'd show any emotion. Losing her ass over a man, you know what I mean? I would mm -hmm. think Madonna would be would be better than that. I think she'd be stronger than that. He just uh, I would figure that as soon as uh, you know she and Guy Ritchie busted it up, she'd be out. I don't know. I can remember after she after she dumped Sean Penn or he dumped her, whatever that was. That was a long time ago. But I mean, all you saw for the next six months was just Madonna out in the clubs every single night. There was news coverage about Madonna out there, and it was always like surrounded by like hot Latin men. Uh, you know, like some go-go club or something. Well, because she's going right to Alex Rodriguez, though. I mean, isn't that the rumor? I guess. But so the, then why would she be all uh, upset about it? I mean, why would she... In other words, if she already had, like, some other man waiting in the wings, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like it would be so traumatizing for her. You you sort of picture... I guess this is her marketing at work. You sort of picture Madonna as being such a strong woman, having such a well-defined, independent, unbending personality... So the idea that Madonna's just going to sit there and just turn into a puddle of tears over some man is, uh, I would say, I'm a little I'm a little disappointed at that. Well, let's hope she pulls it together in time for you to see the show, Tim. Let's hope so, because it's, what, the week of Election Day. Yes. Oh, that's right. Is it, uh, it well, is that it is that Saturday? So wait, now, will you be gone on Friday? Yes. The 11th? Yes. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure I get that covered. Okay. Free beer will be given out by a Florida bar to those who cast a ballot in the November election. The Handlebar of Pensacola is giving the says away to voters for the third straight year, but the offer is good for people who only vote in the November 4th election or who have cast an early ballot. Customers will have to trade in their I Voted sticker for the beer. Oh, by the way, that reminds me, at some point today we'll do at least one exit poll. Uh, since the people in Oregon have presumably been voting for like a week. So. I like that name, the handlebar. The handlebar. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I totally, we still have to fill out my ballot. i got to do that at some point. All right. Uh, all right, here's Tim Riley. Authorities have arrested a man on suspicion of murder, who they say stabbed his estranged wife to death and pushed her out of the back of his truck in front of shocked motorists on a busy freeway. This happened in California. 47-year-old Robert Woods allegedly killed his 46-year-old wife, Eldora, 
just weeks after she had served him with divorce papers and filed for a restraining order. He works at a Nordstrom in San Francisco. He repeatedly stabbed and pushed her out of the car onto the freeway. A Swedish man's novel explanation for taking a break from a troubled marriage has landed him in trouble with the German police. They say the man came to him over the weekend claiming to have been abducted from his home in southern Sweden by two men who demanded money and took him to a German city. It triggered a large-scale search, but police said in a statement that the 43-year-old story fell apart after he was questioned. He told officers he embarked on a European uh, tour to get away from marital problems at home. Then he came up with a kidnapping story to explain his absence to his wife, who had reported him missing. The man's under investigation for faking uh, some, uh, let's see, documents. Prosecutors ordered him held in $3,000. Bail. A jar of blood and a beheading are part of a demented murder plot from Florida. A man is accused of offering $1,000 to have an apparent rival beheaded and his blood drained into a jar and delivered to him an alleged murder-for-hire plot. Bring me the blood of Alfredo Garcia. This is described as being demented. (laughs) Really? In Florida? Mm -hmm. Oh, oh! Damn it! You know, I was playing it, but I had my sound turned off. Oh, that's just oh, too that bad. Oh, that was my Emerson. one chance to really be <laughs> I out of the game. I thought you had me on that one. Oh, I suck. Police claim Antonio Osio uh, wanted to uh, behead a rival. The intended target uh, was chosen, and he wanted to uh, see the machete with the blood on it brought back to him. He also wanted a jar with some of the victim's blood brought back to him. Apparently, it's weird stuff. Orsilio is the owner of the Big Oak Italian Restaurant. He made a payment to kill one of his former employees. The beheading was scheduled to happen over the weekend. Right when you think you've seen it all, something like this comes up. It was very graphic. And you say, well, this is very demented. Deputy said Osio offered to pay a total of $3,000 for the act. He may have been motivated over a woman. Detectives have some information. Uh, there could be a female involved here. He also faces drug and theft charges. But the man wasn't beheaded at all. Election Day is more than a week away, but more than one million ballots have already been cast in Florida. Their Secretary of State's office reports that Florida crossed that milestone over the weekend, one week into the early voting program. Where? Yeah. The number of ballots cast is already four times greater than the total number of early voters in 2004. Many counties reported three- or four-hour waits in some of the biggest uh, polling places. And they say the crush of voters eased by the weekend. Early voting is still underway in Florida. Runs through November 2nd. Now, here's a question, Tim. And I don't think it, maybe this has already been covered. And I just wasn't privy to it. Have they, I hate to, I apologize in advance for using some of the following terms. Have they fixed this business of the chads and the hanging chads and the butterfly ballots? And I know that by saying that, I'm giving us all unpleasant flashbacks to eight years ago. But, I mean, did they ever change that stuff? You know, I think the Bushes have given up in Florida. So I don't think it's going to happen again. Do you mean, but I, in other words, but I mean, it wasn't just the butterfly ballot, which was, I guess, readable, but kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. But there was this whole thing about how a lot of the machines weren't cleaned out for years on end. So you'd try to punch the ballot and it, the, the chad wouldn't go all the way, mm-hmm. couldn't get punched out because there was too much, too many old ones piled up in the trash bin underneath it and you couldn't press it out. So my question is, did they ever fix any of that stuff? Like, did they go they, to... They claim to have. Did they go to electronic voting, or did they go to, uh, you know, whatever? I believe a lot of it's electronic voting. I mean, but whatever happened, there's a thing where you're putting an X in it. I mean, what, why is that so difficult? I don't understand why we don't do that. Uh, that's how they do it here in Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. You get the thing, and, you, and you, you cross it out, or you fill in the bubble or whatever. I mean, electronic voting, you don't get a receipt or anything. Um, you know, the Chad business, I mean, the less said about that, the better at this point. I don't know why you don't just get a piece of paper that lists all the guys with boxes next to them, and you get a Sharpie, and you go, eh, 
quack, and he just do right then and done. I mean, it just seems like that's the simplest way to go about it. We really overthought this to the point of complication. All right, here's Tim Riley. You know, I was watching a uh, television program early yesterday morning. I believe it was Portland CW, and the following story was mentioned. Portland's Zombie Walk was held yesterday. It was the fourth annual for young and old, dressed down, pouring reddish liquid all over themselves, and dragging their bones through parts of the city, much to the amazement of untold numbers of shoppers. Uh, one Portland State University student, Courtney Condrum, dressed as a bloody bridesmaid, said she found a recipe for fake blood online and came up with a concoction with just the right shade of red, thanks to cocoa powder. Her friend Christian served as the bride, but the groom apparently backed out. Maybe I ate him, said she. Uh, you know, so I guess the zombie walk happened. It was yesterday, and uh, yes, there was uh, apparently some uh, mention of it on a early morning Portland television show Sunday morning at 6.30. Thank you, Tim. Mm. Uh, the host of that program, thanks you. Uh, so I guess there were some rules this year about the zombie walk. I guess they weren't allowed to... Um, I, I, I guess in the past they've made some children cry. So they were not allowed to do certain things, and I think they couldn't go in the mall this year. But they couldn't go on oh, the escalators. I hope there aren't rules for Santa Con. Yeah, apparently they were traumatized. Well, see, Santa Claus isn't isn't that scary. You know, you get like four or five hundred zombies or whatever walking around. I, I think that certainly seeds for disturbing. So, um, anyway. I mean, this looks like a typical dad Pioneer Courthouse Square anyway. <laughs> why is that Why is that any different from wow. anything you see there any other day? That is, you're right, that isn't that strange. No. They're like uh, oh Susan Atkins coming right from Sharon Tate's They house. usually hop right off the max <laughs> right before I get off every morning. Uh, all right. Hey, by the way, just a FYI, in case anybody's curious about this, because we do spend an inordinate amount of time in this program discussing foods, specifically snack foods. There are now pizza-flavored Pringles, and they taste like pizza. Because, you know, I got those bacon-flavored Pringles some folks dropped off for me. And I, I got to say, I love bacon, love Pringles. The bacon-flavored Pringles aren't all that. They're basically, bar I think they're just barbecue Pringles that they couldn't move, and so they put a bacon label on them, because that's how you sell things to me in this country, you call it, say that they're bacon-flavored. The bacon Pringles are not that good. The um, the pizza-flavored Pringles do, in fact, taste like pizza, and and really, just in sort of a coincidence, specifically, they taste like the pizza from Chuck E. Cheese, which is actually where Laura and I went last night anyway. So uh, if you're out in the store, you want to take a look for those. They're in a white uh, cylinder, pizza-flavored Pringles. Hey, that also prompted this question. I can't remember exactly where. I think I might have written this down while I was at Chuck E. Cheese. Here's a dumb question. How do you make cotton candy? That's a good question. I, I mean, don't know that. Sugar is like this dry granular stuff. Mm -hmm. How does it go from that to being this fluffy string? What is in cotton candy? Are there other ingredients? I've never eaten it. You've never... Well, I, I may have. You're doing it. that thing again, where you where you make flat, you make de de declarative statements about your existence that can't possibly be true in America. What do you mean you've never eaten cotton candy? I may have eaten it, and it was a bad experience, and I never touched it again. You may have been forced to eat cotton candy as a youth. More I than decided likely. it wasn't for you. I right. love cotton candy. Well, right. You can have all mine. All right. See, and I'm not with <laughs> cotton candy. It's bitter tasting to me for some reason. I uh, and and I think when I was a kid, I ate cotton candy a little bit. But the thing about cotton candy. Cotton candy is like eating from certain uh, fast food restaurants where it's really good, but then suddenly you reach an event horizon where you get one mouthful too much and, it's just, and it starts to taste rancid. That was the thing about cotton candy. I remember that as a kid. Cotton candy. Mmm, good. Mmm, good. Mmm, good. Blah, one too many. But So cotton candy is fluffy, right? I mean, it, 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 you know, the name, it's like cotton. But how is it that, that you're turning sugar... Into cut, it's like some Rapunzel crap there. How, uh, is there something else you're adding to it? 
Lara didn't think so. She thought that sugar was the sole ingredient. And I was sort of perplexed about how you would transform uh, regular dry granular sugar into something that was soft and fluffy. I have no idea how you would I do that. I bet they know how to make it at the Rose Garden. Don't they They sell, you know, uh, cotton candy the height of a, a normal child there on a stick? Yeah, but I think it's from China now. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think we make cotton candy here in America, Tim. Oh, I don't know if I trust that. I think. Uh, I think the communists are making it for us now. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello, it's hey, you. Rick. Ah, Rick. yes. Hey. I'm a cotton candy expert. And by that you mean you consume it by the barrel full, or? No, I sell cotton uh, candy machines. Uh, deliver the supplies. You sell cotton candy machines, really? And so is this like, uh, in other words, uh, not not for personal use, but for business use, like at a store or a shop or something? Yeah, institutional wholesale. Okay. What are the supplies needed to make cotton candy, sir? Uh, sugar and a coloring and flavoring, which is the powder. And that's it. So you, the thing that adds the flavor, the thing that makes it pink or blue or green or whatever. And then now when you say sugar, is this just regular uh, granulated sugar? It could be. Uh, larger sugar works better, but yeah. Just okay. Table, table sugar. So how is it that sugar, which is basically like sand, is then made into this pillowy, soft, cottony material? With a little bit of heat and a little bit of centrifugal force. So, in other words, you are melting it so it becomes almost like caramely, and then it is spun into a thread and dried? True story. All right, I guess I could see that. It's kind of the same way they make fiberglass. Uh, basically, you put it inside like a centrifugal, like a picture of your uh, washing machine. Right. With a heat element on the inside of it, sugar's going up against it. Heat melts the sugar. The centrifugal force stretches the sugar comes out the little holes where the water comes out inside your washing machine. Right. And then stretches out and has its stretch, its cooling, of course, and so it turns into spun sugar. See, this is the perfect kind of explanation. That makes all the sense in the world. I now understand it without uh, without reservation. I, I question the history of cotton candy. Does it go back to the days of the Romans and the Colosseum, or when was it invented? That's actually an interesting question, too. Who would ever come up with that idea, though, to put sugar in a heated centrifuge and stretch it out, and then make it into cotton. I mean, how would that even occur to in, you? I ran into a lady who said that her grand. Oh no! What? Hello? Hello? Hi? Yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm sorry. Here. I don't know why that happened just now. What's it? Yes? Well, I ran into a lady who said her grandfather invented it back in 1929. She was probably lying. And I, yeah, and I don't know that the history prior to that, but uh, there are uh, there are cotton candy machines in Japan that just put your hundred yen in it and it'll dispense out. A small portion, and the kids can just sit there and make it themselves. Fantastic! All right. And I was feeding it. Uh, we actually do make it here in America still. The people at the Coliseum do make it fresh. Well, maybe it's just the bags that are made in China. <laughs> exactly. All right, excellent. Thank you for the clarification, sir. And that's Mr. Popcorn thanking you. All right, there you go. Thank you. By the way, you're listening to KCMD Portland. All right, that actually makes a lot of sense. Now I understand. Mm -hmm. Now it can be told. Let's do one more. We'll take a break. Uh, in the next hour. CNN Radio Correspondent Jim Roop will do our exit poll. Still to come, Clown Watch, Snuff Watch, Penis Watch, and more. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Jeez, try to imagine this scene. I mean, running on a TriMet bus at night is bad enough. But add to it this scene. A chihuahua was attacked and killed on a TriMet bus by a bigger dog. A spokesman said the passenger with the dog weighing about 50 to 60 pounds was getting off the number 75 bus when the dog attacked a chihuahua sitting on another woman's lap. Yeah. Isn't that horrible? Well, especially, I mean, obviously we feel bad for the dog, but also, like, if the dog, I mean, if the dog is sitting on your lap and it gets attacked, that means the other dog is basically attacking your lap at the same time, and that's no good. 
Jesus. Now, aren't you supposed to have pet carriers if you get on it? I think there's actually a big thing on public transportation in Portland that actually shows the cute little cartoon dog in a crate. Mm -hmm. I don't believe you're supposed to be having a chihuahua on your lap or another dog untethered. I think that it sounds to me, just my assessment, they're both in the wrong. Obviously, I'm sorry her, her dog was, yeah. was attacked, but I don't think you're supposed to be carrying those dogs unless they're service animals. Uh -huh. And the service animals have to be under their seat. So, um, hey, by the way, can I just tell you this real quickly? Yeah. Speaking of service animals, when I went to that doggy palooza thing last week, which was pretty great, one of the exhibits there, it was a sort of a, a panel or, you know, whatever you call it, like a presentation. It was a guy, uh, a, a, um, a Portland police officer from the canine unit who was there with one of the canine dogs. And he was answering questions about uh, what, it, you know, what canine dogs do and where they get them. And is there anything you ever wanted to know about a police dog? Did you know the police dogs have their own bulletproof vests? Yes, they did. I did not know that. That's pretty great. Uh, and he was talking about how uh, when they retired, they go home to live with a police officer for the rest of their lives. I didn't know that either. Yep. So, all yeah, right. Well, there you go. well, keep your dog in a crate, won't you, please? Jesus. All I'm... right, let's cheer everybody up. Here's a clown watch. All right, let's do this, and then we'll break. Here's your clown watch, which I suspect will not cheer anyone up, for Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. It is, it is Halloween week, though. It is. All right, here is your uh, clown watch with Tim Riley. Oh, this isn't good. This from Chicago. Two more children have told police they were approached by a sinister man dressed as a clown after several other such incidents were reported. Both incidents happened Wednesday. In one, a child reported being approached by a clown waiting at a bus stop on Hyde Park Boulevard. In the second incident, two boys told police the clown got out of a silver four-door car and offered them a ride at 2.50 in the afternoon. Jesus. These are just the latest in the rash of an incident involving a man wearing clown makeup and a wig approaching children in various parts of Chicago. The clown is carrying balloons and attempting to lure the children into a car. In both alerts, police say the suspect was driving a white four-door van or brown pickup. Uh, the reports are understandably upsetting to parents. A clown in a van. Could there be a, a more terrifying confluence? Mm-hmm. Good God. It's like a John Wayne Gacy tribute act or something. It's getting dark early, and now this clown is out after dusk. Okay. There are a lot of raised eyebrows about this clown. Yeah, it I would might happen again. I think so. Okay. Thanks so much. There's your clown watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Back after this, kids. <laughs> It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Don't forget, you go to rickemerson.com uh, right now. Uh, there's a little blog entry. I think it's the most recent one. Yes, yeah, called Calling All Remixers. We posted some of the most uh, popular election sound bites. Who knows? You might create the next white wheat sourdough English muffin bagel. Let me just a uh, couple of these here. Let's see. And then we'll get to Jim Roop in just one moment. Let's see if I can get these to load. Mm -hmm. Six pack. So we've got that one. We've got, uh, let's see what else. She is a typical white person. We have that. Let's see. We've got this one. John McCain has already tapped me. So anyway, you can go to rickemerson.com and download, the, download those and the, you know, create your masterpiece. Ladies and gentlemen from Los Angeles. Welcome out of the Rick Emerson Radio Program, CNN Radio Correspondent and Dude About Town, Jim Roop. Hello, sir. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? How's life in the City of Angels, my friend? It is wonderful. Warm and sunny. 
Um, so a couple of things. First of all, I got to tell you, speaking of being warm and sunny, we have a listener, our listener Mike, who I think is actually traveling back today, but he spent Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I think he's taking a little mini vacation down to San Diego. And it really does, you know, we live in a weird, great time because I think he has an iPhone. And so he was sitting on the beach in San Diego, listening to the show live on his iPhone and then walking over to get an In-N-Out burger and walking back to the beach, all the while listening to us here in Portland on his iPhone. <laughs> Very nice. Sending me taunting emails, by the way. He's like, hey, this is Mike. I'm sitting on the beach looking at the ocean eating an In-N-Out burger. In your face, Rick Emerson. He was looking at the ocean? Uh, I think, maybe. he be looking at other things, man. Yeah, well, I think you might have been there with a lady friend. I understand. So one, uh, one must keep one's eye, you know, eyes front, mister. That's, That's why you got two of them. That's what I'm saying. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about this. Um, is, is this Measure Eight? What is this thing that's on the Proposition ballot? Proposition Eight. Proposition Eight. This is the thing in California, and we do follow stuff like that because, you know, we always say things that start in California sort of end up here, and especially in Oregon, we've had any number of fights already. Uh, various citizens groups and so-called family groups and values groups trying to do this business of getting in the way of gay marriage and whatever. And in California, correct me if I'm wrong. It's not just civil unions. Is it full-on gay marriage? It's full-on marriage. Right now, it is legal to be married. It, it, you may recall that the uh, California voters back in 2003 or 2004 voted overwhelmingly uh, to ban gay marriage. Right, right. The Supreme Court this past May overturned that, saying it was unconstitutionally uh, discriminatory, so, uh, or that it was unconstitutional. Um, the uh, right away there was a, a voter drive enacted to try to put an initiative on the ballot that would amend the state constitution to permanently ban gay marriage, and therefore it can't be overturned by the Supreme Court ever again. You know that's what's on the ballot. So a yes on Proposition Eight is a no to gay marriage. A no on Proposition Eight is a yes to gay marriage. I really have to tell you, I do, I do have to wonder. Just how empty and dull your life is that you really spend an inordinate amount of time uh, worrying about uh, somebody else going and getting married. I mean, really, if you have to worry about somebody else picking out China patterns and like that's really going to impact your life, seems well, like maybe you ought to just pick up stamp collecting or something. Yeah, I... it's, it's a little deeper than that on several issues. The, the big concern is now what's going to be taught in schools. Right. Because uh, you, and when you teach health science or sexual education, you have to teach about marriage. And what people are concerned about is right now they teach marriage as traditional man and woman, and that's how we uh, perpetuate the planet. Right, right. If gay marriage becomes legal in California or they strike down this constitutional amendment, that means the public schools, and 90% of them teach this marriage thing, that they will have to now teach also about gay marriage. Oh, so that's why the church groups got so active. Because isn't there, correct me if I'm wrong, I was talking to my wife about this, the LDS church, the Mormon church themselves, they haven't made an official directive about this, but there's some huge grassroots thing happening there where the, the Mormon church is really, the members anyway, are out in, in force on this thing? Oh, they, they've made themselves known. I mean, they're, they're, it's, uh, it's well known the Mormon church is against this. All right. Uh, Go ahead. And, and, you know, many, many other groups against it, too. Uh, there are, is, it seems to be equally split, honestly. When I talk to people, it really seems to be this thing could go in either direction. Right. And it could go that way by mistake just because of how you have to vote on this 
particular issue. Because yes means no and no means yes. Yeah, and people don't get that still. And there are people that say, well, I I believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman, but people do have rights. So they're going to be tussling with this thing until they actually have to dot that ink thing or or pull the lever or push the screen, whatever it is they have to do. We've, uh, you know, I think we talked about this when when the rubber started to hit the road on this, but what has the impact been on the economy of this? Because it seems like... Yeah, the marriage is a big business for the state, so it seems like the state has, whether they would say this or not, at least a, at least a, a backroom vested economic interest in keeping gay marriage legal because it's you know it's money in the bank. Well, when when it first when the Supreme Court overturned it, remember in June, uh, I mean there was a boatload of of uh, same sex couples getting married, and they talked about what a boon this is going to be the economy. All these hotels are being right. rented out for receptions and churches being booked and so on and so forth. It really hasn't made that much of an impact. Plus, as soon as this initiative made qualified for the ballot, everything got put on hold. You know, people are going, wait a minute, maybe right. we shouldn't hurry too much because what if all of a sudden we get married, then this thing is overturned, and then they're going to invalidate the marriage. Is there, uh, is there a lot of – I remember back in 2004, everybody talked about Karl Rove putting these so-called – these cultural hot-button issues, these values issues on the ballot, because that was his way to make sure that people went to the polls, which in turn, you know, while they were there, hey, we might might as well vote for George Bush while we're here voting against gay marriage or whatever. Is there, has there been any discussion about how stuff like this being on the ballot is going to impact turnout for the presidential race? This is the hot issue. There's the there's the presidential election. Right. Everybody's, I mean, that's a big one, too. I mean, there's going to be so many people turning out to vote for this because of that. But what's driving more folks to the polls is this same-sex marriage issue. This is, the, I mean, this, the amount of money that's been spent on this has trumped everything previous to it. Mm. I mean, it is just amazing. And money is coming in from all 50 states, some 20 foreign countries, on both sides of the issue. And so it's it's become this this big gorilla. Right that everybody's going to have to deal with uh, next Tuesday. Uh, and, then, and then real quickly here, so speaking of the end of the election, did you ever get to the bottom of this John McCain being at his election night party or not being no, there? No, I, I can't get anybody to say to me for sure he's going to be there. Oh, that's a when good I sign. talk to the campaign people, they huh. say, well, it's his election night. That's all they tell me. They won't say, of they course, won't say they yes. They won't say, no. of course he's going to be there. That's, that's, that's the second half of that statement. Ugh. Well, it's election night. And... But yeah, I honestly don't care at this point. What is it? What's up with Sarah Palin? Where is she supposed to be on election night? Do you know? I'm guessing she's supposed to be there too. They're supposed to come out on stage together. That's the tradition. It's That's pretty what... interesting that they won't just flat out say yes. Of course, John McCain will be here. It's his campaign headquarters. It's election night. He would be crazy for him not to be here. I, I, that's got to be a rumor. No one's really addressing it, and it, I, I haven't heard it anywhere else other than what Tim was talking about. Yeah, it's uh, and I think that was actually I forget where that was from, but it wasn't from it wasn't well, like a blog. Ya- Yahoo News was one of them. Yeah, but I think it was in turn from the AP. It might have been I, I don't know, but I don't think it wasn't from a blog or anything. No, no. I I think it was a. I think Tim was saying it came from legitimate yeah. sources, but I can't. I haven't been able to follow up on any of that stuff. Interesting. It's just, it's just, this is the craziest election. I can't wait till the damn thing's over. We were just talking about that. That we we just man we we prevaricate and equivocate just from hour to hour about whether we want it over or whether we want it to go on forever because the theater of it is just so. And I've and I've said this a billion times that I just it, it does make me very sad that folks like Tim Russert, uh, you know, and Hunter Thompson aren't around right now. Because this yeah. is, I remember Jeff Greenfield wrote a book in, two, in January, February of 2001. It was right after the, you know, the Florida election debacle in 2000. 
And it was called, you know, something, something, something. But the subtitle was Inside the Wildest Election in U.S. History. And I'm not going to say that this year has been crazier because, you know, that whole recount debacle was just, I mean, it was off the charts. But this, I will say that it hadn't been the craziest election, but it's been the craziest campaign season, the, the cycle that we've ever had in this country. And, you know, to the point that, again, they won't even say where John McCain's going to actually be at his headquarters on election night. It'll be interesting to see. If the election goes Obama's way, if McCain takes it in the shorts on Election Day, how that speech goes on Tuesday night and whether Sarah Palin actually will be the de facto keynote speaker. In other words, if she's going to use the election night speech to set up some kind of a run that she sees for herself in 2012. That'd be the worst mistake the Republicans can make. Oh, yeah. No, I, and I don't think – I think even if she announces it or implies it, I don't think she'll end up doing it. I think between now and 2012, somebody will get her in a room, and they will sit her down, and they'll smack her around verbally a little bit and say, look, you know, we know that everybody's been treating you like a rock star. They will destroy you if you try to run for president. You will be shredded into little Palin pieces. So, you know, go do something. Go be a senator. Go give speeches for a hundred grand a pop with Rudy Giuliani. But don't run for president because they will crush you. Yeah, and it's I don't know. It's 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 going to be interesting to see how this goes, like you say, on Tuesday night, who makes what speech when. And not only that, but what happens to Sarah Palin post right. this, no matter which way this election goes. But also, you have to think. This is probably going to be a little closer than we think. I don't yeah. know that it's going to be a landslide either way, and I don't think we're going to know who the president is by 8 o'clock the next morning. I honestly you don't think it's that. going to go to the next day. I, I do. I, I, I'd be surprised if it is a landslider that it's over early. For a while, I thought it was going to be. But now, you know, I'm talking to people over this past weekend, and I'm starting to realize what's politically correct is one thing. What they're going to do when they close that curtain is another. So I, know we all, I know we all know that. The so-called Bradley effect. I know we all know, right. yes. But I actually heard people physically talking about that uh, this past weekend. I'm going, oh, no, when you, when you say people said that, in other words, what, did they volunteer that? or yeah, how, how did those yeah, conversations yeah. go? Uh, it's, um, I, was at, I was at the bank on Saturday, and, and there was some TV crew set up outside the bank. And some guy came up and he said, yeah, I told him I was going to vote for Obama because, you know, they were clearly Obama supporters. They all they were asking about, but I'll probably vote for McCain when I get because I don't want I want the borders closed. You know, it's that kind right, of thing. Right. And everybody's going, yeah, 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 really, man. You know, well, I can't wait till I get in that booth. It's just, it was one of those things. And then at a party, a Halloween party Saturday night, two people were telling me the same thing. I got to tell you, we've been doing this exit poll here because, you know, people in we got our ballots last week and we're mailing here. So we've been sort of once a day doing, a, at least once a day, doing a little Insta poll asking people, if you've already voted for president, just call up and just tell us, Obama, McCain, or, or whoever. Uh, and some days it's been real heavily, uh, you know, tilted one or the other, but I, we've had a couple of days where it's been like 60-40, 50-60, a 50-50 almost, and that's in a really blue city. Uh, Portland. So I, man. I honestly don't know which way California is going to go. I was talking with a lot of Latino voters today, and they're just as split as, as everybody else. Some say McCain is the friend of the Latino community. Others say Obama is the friend of the Latino community. It's really strange. It is. It is just amazingly strange. I think that you know the, the electoral vote and the popular vote are two different things. And I was talking to Lisa about this. That you know it might be that Obama really comes in with a fistful more electoral votes than he needs to win. But I think the popular vote is going to be very close. I mean, regardless of the electoral outcome, I think the popular vote is going to be a squeaker, man. And, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, it's. It, I can't. 
I and I got to tell you, I, I can't imagine. Just let's talk in terms of the left side of the aisle. That you know, right now, the you know, the Democrats or the left or liberals, whatever, whatever the term is, the fashionable term for them is today. I can't imagine in terms of um, just in terms of morale. And in terms of just uh, feeling, uh, you know, like they can make changes in the future and going forward and and getting all, you know, sort of energized for the next one. I can't imagine the body blow to the morale of the left that it'll be in this country if, if McCain wins. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, look. There'll be a lot of bruised egos, yeah. Well, and 48% of the country is going to be angry no matter what happens. I mean, look, if Obama wins, my in-laws aren't going to speak to my wife for a year. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I'm not going to lie. If Obama wins, my wife is going to call. My wife has a very um, strained relationship with her mother, let's say. Uh, not to put all her laundry in the street, but, but you know, my, my wife doesn't get along with her mom, but has that sense of, child parent obligation that she needs to call and sort of power through a phone call with her mom once a week come hell or high water because she feels like she needs to she's you know it's what she's supposed to do as a daughter and she dreads it and she just you know, digs in her heels and doesn't want to do it but then she grits her teeth and she talks to her mom my mother-in-law for one hour every sunday if obama wins my wife is gonna she's gonna pick up the phone five seconds later and for the first time in her life, she will go out of her way to call her mom and gloat. And her mom won't talk to her for probably three weeks. Um, so that's going to be the case on the right side if Obama gets in the White House. If McCain wins, I think you're going to see uh, you're going to see Prozac prescriptions go up by about 80 uh, percent for a big chunk of this country. That's going to be my guess. To me, the saving grace in all of this is whoever sits in that chair in that big Oval Office. They got to get both sides of the aisle to buy off on anything they oh, do. Yeah. So I don't really care. Who who's got whose butt is in that chair? I I you know I mean it's it's no one can sit here and make policy or decisions, you know. And when Obama said today, you know he's he's got a new purpose for America, well we don't need it. The purpose is in the Constitution, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 purpose, the Declaration of Independence. The, so I don't I didn't understand that comment at all. What I, does that mean? You know what? And that's a I need a freaking politician giving me purpose. The purpose is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Somebody so, ought to give that to him. You know, I mean that. I mean, and really, when it comes down to it, I mean, way over time here, but when it comes down to it, really. I think Rush Limbaugh, of all people, said something. He said, you know, he said, I prefer the government didn't even know I existed. I mean, <laughs> really, the government's job is to print money, provide for the common defense, keep other people for attacking us, from attacking us, and, you know, just let, and, you know, give me some sort of an industry, you know, some sort of a, 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 an economic system in which I can get a job and buy stuff. And that's it. That's all we need, man. So, and fix the potholes in front of my freaking house. <laughs> All right, Jim Roop, as always. Are you on tomorrow, sir? Yes, I am. All right, we'll talk to you then, brother. Enjoy your day. Thank you very right, much. There you go. Fix potholes and give me a job and keep the hell away from me. All right. Tim Riley, hello. Well, hello. How are you, sir? Couldn't be better. All right. Uh, should we take a break? No, sure. let's get it out of the way. Let's take a break. We'll come back uh, in the next half hour. News from Tim Riley. We'll recap Mad Men from last night, which was wonderful. Uh, let's see. What else? Oh, and we'll do the uh, exit poll for today as well. If you voted for president, we'll be uh, polling you here in just a bit. It's 503-733-2970. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Here's Cinderella. Stay there.
Hi, hello. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Now I know what that is. Yeah. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, it's by a guy named uh, RJD2 right there. All right. Fantastic. Hello, Tim Riley. Well, hello. Shall we talk about last night's Mad Men? Yes, let's do it. Fantastic. Uh, so if you don't want to hear any spoilers about last night's Mad Men, I mean... I there, was, there are already spoilers posted online after the East Coast presentation yesterday afternoon, and I regretted looking on the website. you got to not go to the AMC site. It's like uh, during The Wire. I wasn't. Uh, I had to stop myself from going to HBO when The Wire was on because HBO would post. And you know what? They, they even do this on the DVD set. It's very confusing and frustrating. If you rent the DVD of The Wire, which Laura and I were because we were working our way through the whole series, first time for her, second time for me, the episode synopsis, uh, you know, when like you you know you go on the DVD and you go to the menu and the episode selection, and right before you hit play, it takes you to that episode screen on the DVD menu, and the synopsis contains all kinds of spoilers. Uh-huh. You know, you know McNulty and Bunk finally catch the killer with a lot of help from Griggs. You're like, what? Why? Come on! Uh, and so it is with the HBO website, and you're, it sounds like it's the same thing on AMC, where they post all kinds of crap on their website before because it's aired here. Everything's on New York time. Right, right. Uh, so they want to go home, and they just post everything because it's all over with on the East Coast. Oh, uh, weasels. So. Damn. Yeah, so Susan got the uh, East Coast feed lesson. Her power came back on the time. And mm-hmm. She knows not to, not to text me with any spoilers or anything, but it was it was pretty something. The thing about spoilers on Mad Men, though, is it's not like spoilers on other shows. Like a spoiler on The Sopranos is a lot of a much bigger deal because it's like somebody getting killed or somebody going to jail. You know, a spoiler on Lost is a big deal because it, the whole show is a mystery. With Mad Men, spoilers I think are, you know, maybe you don't want to hear them, but it, it's not that big of a deal because that show is about the journey more than the destination. Yes. So what we can, but let, you know, but that being said, we're still going to give that little bit of a warning because we're going to go into Mad Men talk here. But last night was really good. I don't think it was quite as astonishing as the episode or two before it, but. That doesn't surprise me because um, because Matthew Weiner, who does that show, came from The Sopranos. And if you remember on The Sopranos, the season finale was never the big deal. It was always the penultimate episode. It was always the second to last episode where the big bloodbath would happen or the shootout or Tony would kill somebody. Then the final episode of the season was always just kind of an epilogue. That's kind of what it was last night, but still a fair number of bombshells. Um, I did not see the thing coming with, with Betty Draper. Um and, Sarah, do you care if we talk about this? Not at all. I'm all so right. far behind. I'll probably forget about it by the time You'll I get forget. to that point. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see the thing coming with her being pregnant. I really didn't. Um, and <sighs> Or yeah. the fact that, that Don did not have a contract. I thought Duck finally had him. Oh, no, no, no. That was, I knew that, actually. I knew he didn't have a contract because they did a little tiny passing reference to it. <sighs> I think early on in this season when he was talking to Burt Cooper. Uh, and he made... Some little throwaway line reference to the fact that he didn't have a contract. But boy, what a bastard that duck guy is! Oh yeah, I mean, just 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 a weasel, just an absolute weasel. And I kind of saw it coming this whole time. But even so, it's amazing that you know on that show that Pete Campbell is now no longer the most weaselly guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how interesting for Pete Campbell! Every single conversation he had last night went like the opposite way from how he thought it was going to go. Exactly. Um, and I guess I somehow. I knew that Peggy had never told him about the about the kid, but I I sort of forgot about that until she said it last night, and I thought, oh, oh damn, that's right, he doesn't know. And that look on his face when she was just doing that, like you know, and I gave it away, 
You know, it was just, uh, it was hard to it, watch. It was really spooky and surreal when she started talking about that. But it, it was kind of woven woven into this the scene of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. That we don't know if we're going to be alive tomorrow. Right. And I wonder if the typical office place at that time was just like that. People don't know if they're coming back to work tomorrow, so why not spill out our darkest secrets because we may never see each other again. I think so. And, and uh, I mean, you know, I've obviously never lived through anything like the Cuban Missile Crisis, but... You know, but I remember in the 80s, there was that sense that nuclear war was in, imminent, like around every corner. Every day, you expected to see that, like, the, the Ruskies were going to nuke us or something, and, you know, Reagan was going to get everybody obliterated. It must have been 50 times as bad during the Cold War or during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, you, you read all the doc, all the books and you see all the documentaries from that time, and people, they thought it was it. They, they thought we were toast. And you got to remember, there were limited news sources then. You did have television, maybe three channels. You did have the tabloids spilling new editions on the streets every few hours. Right. To kind of, you know, solve this kind of panic yeah. on the general public. So they had different ways of learning it and seeing it on print in large letters that the world might come to an end. Kind of set all this in motion. You see some of those headlines from the Cuban Missile Crisis too, where they're terrifying. It's like world on brink of mm -hmm. nuclear war. You know, war with Soviets imminent. Mm -hmm. uh, this guy says, Rick, the scene last night where Roger Sterling tells Draper his buyout portion is is 500 grand. He says, I did the math, adjusting for a 4.2 inflation rate since 1960. Today, uh, Don Draper's buyout would be three million six hundred dollars. Incredible. Yeah, that's astounding. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. Um, more madmen. Here's another one uh, that uh, you know. All of Pete's conversations. Somebody saying all, the same words. Somebody. All of Pete's conversations went backward from how he thought they would. Uh, somebody weighs in. See, this is my thing. You know, Peter Carlin claims that I. Peter thinks that I have some weird, like, misogynist thing about Don's wife, and that's why I don't like her. I, in my own defense, I'll say. You know, uh, the other female characters in that show are all very compelling. Even the ones who are sort of evil, I think, are, are compelling. Bobby, who is Jimmy Barrett's wife, is great. Mm -hmm. Rachel Menken, who is the department store owner, I love. Peggy, I obviously love. Even Joan Holloway, the secretary, the real hourglass redhead secretary, she's not a very good person. Uh, Joan Holloway is kind of a bad person, but, he, but she's still very interesting and compelling. Don Draper's wife is just such a child. I just find her so incredibly off-putting because she's unbelievably spoiled and pampered and rich and really has to do nothing in her life. Uh, well, and she, yet it's just... she, too, is trapped in, in that type of life, which she doesn't want. And that's why she go, kind of goes crazy after really her first night out of the, the first night that we're showing right. that she's out on her own. I suppose, I, I think that, and I think I made this observation to Peter Carlin, it would be a lot easier for me to take Betty Draper's complaining seriously mm -hmm. if she wasn't always complaining to her housekeeper, who at that point did not even have the benefit of the Civil Rights Act. Oh, and here's the other thing about women and pregnancy. They are just a... They are just a, a year away from the widespread use of birth control pills. The birth control pills came out in 63, so this is 62. So this, are you sure I'm about that? just about positive. Because in the first one, I remember... Peggy when she gets on, on birth, birth control, control though. He's like, don't abuse this, or I'm going to take it away from you. Don't I wonder slut. what year that is, though. If that was true. In the first episode, though, Sarah's right. In the very mm -hmm. first episode of the series, Peggy gets on birth control, and the doctor gives her that weird thing about, don't use this to be tramping around, mm -hmm. hussy. So... So I'm wondering how that happened and why she wasn't on the pill then. It was interesting, that whole discussion they had about abortion, with ever using the word, though, when the doctor kept saying, if we're having the conversation I think we're having... That's a drastic step. 
You know, and then the other girl's like, you can go to the San Juan Islands and they'll get it taken care of. And they never used the A word uh, because, you know, you're still a decade ahead of Roe v. Wade at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I acknowledge that, that Betty Draper is in her way sort of trapped in that life. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, again, obviously, as much as things are unequal now, they were even more so then. And women, obviously, were still many, many, many hundreds of steps behind men in terms of social advancement. But but I think the problem I have with Betty Draper is it just contrasted with the other female characters on the show. She really does seem to be just the most passive of female characters where Peggy and even Joan and especially somebody like Rachel Mencken, are really taking control of their own lives and really being an active shaper of their own existence. And Betty Draper does seem to want to have everything handed to her, largely, I think, because of the childhood that she came out of. Right. She counts her money. She married into money. Right. And and that is the price to pay for it. Right. And so as a result, she's just living in this gilded cage and has no... You know, you know, it has no real outlet for anything. And then she and I didn't see her getting on with that guy in the changing room or the cloakroom or whatever. That was, it was, really at that restaurant. It was really bizarre. She's I see some big snapping melting point coming for her. She's going to go nuts because there was that weird episode where she was just firing that gun in the air for no reason. So which they never came back to. Also, here's a question. Did we ever see Pete Campbell again after that shot of him sitting in the office with his hunting rifle? No. They showed Pete Campbell in that closing montage, sitting alone in his office with his hunting rifle, and then they never showed him again. So that's something we get to think on until next year. Um, I don't even know where else to go. Um, so I have varying dates on, on the birth control. Some say 1960, others it was approved by the FDA in 1960. But no, then maybe not, sure. not mainstream for a Probably few years? Probably not. Because I think even after Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I, it seems like after Roe v. Wade... How difficult could have that been to get, though? They must have... I, I wonder maybe if they legalized abortion in 73, mm-hmm. but then maybe... I don't really know, but maybe... I would imagine maybe the same thing, where you probably still... It was a while before you could find one easily, because maybe a lot of doctors didn't want to do it, or hospitals were afraid to actually start having the procedure... Uh, for fear of whatever, or maybe just, uh, you know... what? It, or maybe uh, they were more religious. Yeah, I mean, the, the doctors that's possible. We're thinking more of their own religious beliefs, even knowing that it, it was available. Well, even now you'll hear that thing about some nutcase pharmacist won't give a woman the morning after pill. Mm-hmm. Some woman goes into a pharmacy, hey, I need the morning after pill. And the, you know, the, the, the pharmacist is some, uh, you know, some religious twit who won't do it. So I imagine in 73 with abortion or 63 with the pill, you might have run into a lot of difficulty finding the pill mm-hmm. or a ph- pharmacist will give it to you even though it was legal. I hadn't really thought about that. That's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see a couple calls here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Yes, I have a theory uh, about Mad Men, what we might see possibly uh, next season. Yes. And now, who is the little Pee Wee Harriman kind of character? He's married to Trudy. I, I, this Pete is my Campbell. third episode. Pete Campbell. Pete Campbell. That is Pete. Right. Um, now, remember, he is so opposed to this idea of do- adopting a child. Right. But now that Peggy has told him that she gave their child away, now I think he is going to go on a quest hunting that child down and attempting to somehow buy and or adopt it. That's interesting. Cause that would be extremely difficult. I suppose, because the wife wants to adopt. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. But yeah. now he knows that the kid is out there somewhere. I mean, right. I guess it wouldn't be that hard, though, because isn't the, isn't the kid with Peggy's sister? I'm, I'm not. Oh, see, I, this is only my third episode in. I think so Peggy's like, sister is raising the kid. I think, you're, I think you're right. So he would theoretically only have to beat a few bushes to kind of figure out exactly where that kid is. That's an right, interesting and, and theory. And being a man of means, he'll attempt to buy the child back. 
That is an interesting idea. I didn't really. And Peggy's family, obviously, her mother and sister, obviously don't have much money. You get the no. feeling Peggy is sort of helping to support them financially. That's an interesting theory. I exactly. I exactly. give that credence. All right. Well, well done. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. And hi. Hello. Howdy. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, that's wonderful. Great. No, I, I think so that's much. one of those calls from Cuba. Appreciate it. Uh, let's see. This email says, I don't think Pete was holding the gun to kill himself. I think he was holding the rifle in his office in Manhattan because of the whole Cuban Missile Crisis thing. Remember, they weren't sure if they were going to even exist tomorrow. He insisted on staying. That was a great line. He goes, if I'm going to die, I want to die in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was lots of talk about looting and rioting. Mm-hmm. Good point. Um, anyway, uh, Peggy might not have been able to get the pill in 1962, but it... Or, I'm sorry, he says, Peggy might have been able to get the pill, but it still could have been not widely spread. That's true. You might not it's have been possible. able to get it very easily. Uh, that's another interesting thing when they talk about hiding in the uh, the shelter with the gun and everything, because I know there was a lot of that back in the Cold War era, the discussion of your bomb shelter and keeping a shotgun so if your neighbors try to get into the shelter, you had to have a gun to keep them out because there was only food and water for your family. Then one member of the family might have the the uh, shelter, and the other family member would have the gun. Yeah. This wasn't my family. <laughs> really? Yes. Okay. Uh, by the way, Kathy says, 1963 is when the birth control pill became available, the year after my mother had her ninth child. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, let's see. And we'll do one more here, and then, we'll, then I'll play us in the break. Um, Susan Reynolds weighs in from upstairs. Pete is so against adopting. Pete is so against adopting because, quote, it's someone else's child, which this would not be because it's his. Right. All right. Because remember his family's attitude on this. Totally. Well, but see, but he, what does he care about his family now anyway? They've oh, already disowned true. him. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Trudy's parents have already disowned him, so he no longer has to worry about that. He's already lost the clearest account. Trudy wants a kid. All he would have to do is to make sure Trudy never found out it was actually his kid with Peggy. I like that. Interesting. Let's do that next season. All right, let's take a break. I'm going to play us in the break here. There's a little by request uh, for our friend David. Uh, this is Iron Maiden on the Rick Emerson radio program. Back after this to wrap it up. Don't go anywhere. That is part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. we got a couple minutes here, so it's time to do our exit poll for the day. 
It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. If you have voted in this year's presidential election, no matter where you live, now is the time to call. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Today's exit poll. Uh, we will just take the polls on who you voted for uh, for president. 503 733 2970. Uh, in the meantime, we'll do this call. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Richie, is this the, this is like the, the same, same guy calling back? Hello. Hi. Did Richie screen him? Richie, what is up with this call? Thanks. Right, that's this is like my friend who keeps pocket dialing me like three times a day. That's exactly what that sounds like. All right. Somebody ever pocket dial you and you're listening to the sounds and you can't quite figure out what's going on? My friend um, was pocket dialed and the people were actually talking crap about him. Really? <laughs> yeah. And then I had another, actually, one of my girlfriends um, overheard this guy that she was dating uh, talking about another girl. Oh. Yeah, that happened pretty recently. <laughs> All right. Time for the Rick Emerson exit poll. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, take the pulse of uh, Portlanders and beyond to find out who you voted for. All right. Rick Emerson exit poll for president. Who got your vote? Hello there. Hello. Hi. Uh, who did you vote for? Obama. All right, thank you. All right, Rick Emerson exit poll. For whom did you vote? Obama. All right, thank you. Hi, Rick Emerson exit poll. For whom did you vote? Obama. Obama. All right, 503-733-2970. For whom did you vote? Mr. Obama. All right, there you go. Thank you. Uh, hi, Rick Emerson exit poll. For whom did you vote? Is this me? Yes, it is. Hello. McCain. All right, thank you. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Rick Emerson, exit poll. For whom did you vote? Hello, it's you. Uh, McCain Palin. All right, thank you. It's 503-733-2970. For whom did you vote? Hello. Obama. Hi, Obama. All right, thank you. Uh, hi, Rick Emerson, exit poll. For whom did you vote? Is this me? Yes. Yes, it McCain. is. Hello. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Uh, three more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? Obama. All right, thank you. Two more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? Well, that doesn't count. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? McCain. McCain, all right. And final vote for today. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? <laughs> okay. Well, that makes it uh, four to six, uh, McCain to Obama. So, again, it's like 60%. That's uh, so weird every time. About 60-40. All right. It's 503-733-2970. Make a note. Tomorrow we will uh, do another exit poll. Try to ramp those up as the week goes on. We want to thank CNN Radio Correspondents Lisa Desjardins, Steve Castamam, and Jim Rube. Join us tomorrow when I guess include Nina Parker from DMZ. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stone for AMN 70 to talk in the newsroom. Tim Riley and the phones. Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in. Webmistress, Bridget from upstairs. And CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Donaff with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Michael Mayer's show at 7. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. Bye now. Ma, 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 ma.